It is Thursday, September 16th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 2 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaub. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, this week is starting out with a game that absolutely nobody is looking forward to. So I feel like we should just go ahead and jump in and get it over with. Giants against Washington on Thursday night. Yeah, uh, 40 and a half point over under. I think, you know, the, the fewer guys you have from this game, the, the better you're going to be feeling, you know, going into Sunday um, you know, on the Giants. I mean, I, I think Saquon Barkley is where we should start because, you know, I have him on a few teams and I'm deciding whether or not I want to start him. And it's, it's versus guys like Jamal Williams and Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, Barkley, he played 48% of the snaps in week one, only ran a route on 38% of the pass plays, finished with 10 carries, three targets. And on a short week now, you know, in, in a tough match, I don't think his volume is going to be, much different than that. I think that's kind of what you're expecting, like 12 to 15 opportunities. And, you know, this matchup is just as tough as Denver was, if not tougher. Yeah. You could say that they limited his week one participation to get him ready for this short turnaround, but playing a football game four days later is hard, no matter what, whether you come back from knee injury, whether you're at full health, whether you played a full game, whether you just got hit a little bit, it's a tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we can expect a good game. We always know that, big things are possible from Saquon Barkley. Maybe he can touch the ball 12 times and score, but it's not a good spot. I would certainly try to sit him if I can help it. I mean, you don't have to, you can still like the long-term on Saquon Barkley. You can still like the ceiling this season and yet also not take the chance on him in week two on short rest. I would actually be trying to buy Saquon after this game, assuming he doesn't, you know, find the end zone or break off a long play. Um, I, I think week three is when we might start to see him closer to a, to a full workload when he's going to have had, you know, 10 days to rest. The Giants offense is still a concern, but like if you're getting Barkley, you know, something close to his usual workload, I still think he's, you know, an RB one. And if he bombs again, you know, on national TV tonight, I think you might be able to, to get him for cheaper than that. Do you know offhand who the week three matchup is? I do not. Well, I'll let you look that up while <laughs> I talk about somebody else. But as you mentioned, we saw the playing time, you know, disappointing in week one 10 carries as well 2.6 yards per rush eight percent target share so really there's nothing that we can point to from that matchup with denver and say this is a reason to be optimistic for saquon barkley in week two so sorry you got to treat him like somebody else this week it's the falcons in uh week three by the way so you know that that's a good spot it's it's uh, the saints after that so the schedule toughens again but the, the falcons in week three definitely could be kind of the you know breakout spot for saquon this season yeah, and we'll get to the Saints in a little bit and see if maybe there's uh, – see what we can expect from them going forward. But elsewhere on the Giants' offense, like you said, it's just kind of a gross fantasy situation here. Daniel Jones yeah. did wind up 14th among fantasy QBs in week one. That was thanks largely to a rushing touchdown. He also last season threw for 112 yards and 212 yards in his two meetings with this Washington team. He was just okay overall against Denver last week. There's really no reason to – I don't know, be optimistic for Daniel Jones in week two, I would say. No, like a low-end quarterback too, you know, super flex, two quarterback leagues, maybe you're you're having to deal with Daniel Jones. But Daniel Jones against that Washington pass rush is, you know, <laughs> a nightmare, I think. And, you know, 18 and a half point implied total for the Giants. Uh, not a good, not a good play, Daniel Jones this week. 
it was a fine debut for Kenny Galladay, but I mean, you'd like to see more separation and usage between him and Darius Slate. And I would say Sterling Shepard is pretty easily the comfiest Giants bet for me. And I say that with him like low wide receiver three range. Yeah, I think that's where he belongs. Um, I think Shepard's the best fantasy bet among Giants wide receivers, at least until, you know, Galladay shows us otherwise. Galladay wasn't really li- really limited in week one. He played 85% of the snaps, uh, saw six targets. It was a 16% target share. But, you know, Shepard saw nine targets. Shepard ran more routes, played more snaps than Kenny Galladay. And, and Shepard just has that rapport with Daniel Jones. So I think it's, you know, it's going to take a little while for Galladay to potentially uh, catch up with uh, Shepard there. I'll be curious to see if the usage among the wide receivers changes at all when Evan Ingram comes back. We already know Evan Ingram's not going to be playing tonight. You know, he's more of a slot receiver than Kyle Rudolph is, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit less Darius Slayton once Ingram returns, but, you know, can't say that until we actually see it. Rudolph, as it was, led Giants tight ends at a 62% route rate in week one. So, I mean, if you're in a really deep league and are desperate for a tight end, Kyle Rudolph is playing, but he's certainly not somebody to go after. Yeah, he did play ahead of Caden Smith, but that's kind of the best you can say about Kyle Rudolph. (laughs) On the Washington side, no Ryan Fitzpatrick complicates things a bit, but, you know, we can't – I don't think that we can downgrade for Taylor Heineke. The last time that we saw him in a full game, he threw for 306 yards, ran for another 46 yards in that playoff loss to Tampa. I mean, people were so excited about him that others had to quickly run out the story about him wearing a MAGA hat just to temper that excitement. And I, I thought he played pretty well in relief of Fitzpatrick in week one. Um, he went 11 of 15 for 122 yards and a touchdown, ran for another 17 yards. He's going to give you some rushing production. So, like, you know, Daniel Jones versus Taylor Heineke, if you're in a two-quarterback Superflex league, I think they're, they're pretty similar. I might even lean towards Heineke in this matchup. Um, I, I, I do think he's a, a slight downgrade from Fitzpatrick. Or at least He's at least a downgrade from, like, good Fitzpatrick. You know, like, he's not going to give this offense those ceiling weeks. Um but I do still think, you know, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, Antonio Gibson, those guys can stay in fantasy lineups, knock them down you know, half a tier maybe. But I, I think they're all fine to keep it keep in there. I think Heineke's good enough to, to keep those guys afloat. And he's enough that there was some, you know, at least minor chatter through the summer about maybe Taylor Heineke had a shot at fighting for the starting job. I don't think that was ever a reality, but it at least means that he was playing decently through the summer. And Terry McLaurin kind of got going after Taylor Heineke went into that game. As you mentioned, he was pretty good last week, had a 119.3 passer rating for that game against the Chargers. So, you know, again, I'm not really downgrading anyone here. I'm not, there's not anybody that I'm excited about going in. I am uneasy about Terry McLaurin, but I can't bet against him either. And I I mean that literally. I was looking at the underdog over-under stuff. He's at 73.5 over-under for yardage for the game. And I can't bet Terry McLaurin either way on that. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Um, I don't know. What do do we have projected for? I could pull it up right now. We got 68 yards. yards, Yeah, pretty good (laughs) line. Uh, So The thing about Washington last week is they only ran 49 plays. And they only threw it 21 times. So, you know, all of their passing game production and volume was kind of muted. You know, even if the offense struggles a bit with Heineke, they're, they're going to run more plays and they're going to pass more than that. Yeah, Logan Thomas got just three targets in the opener because of the factor that you just mentioned. McLaurin, Thomas, and Deami Brown were the clear top three Washington players in routes. McLaurin is 100%. The other two guys each hit 93%. Broncos tight ends combined, by the way, for 10 catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown on 12 targets against the Giants in week one. So I think Logan Thomas has plenty of upside in this matchup. 
Yeah, again, I mean, he, he saw a 14% target share, which is a fine number. It's just they didn't throw much. You know, he, he still played every single snap. He ran a route on 93% of the pass play. So all the usage was still there for Logan Thomas. So he's a guy I still feel fine with as like a lower end tight end one. Deami Brown, I would I would not want to use him in season long, but if you're playing like DFS tonight, I, I kind of like him as a sneaky play. As you said, his playing time was right up there in week one. And, um, you know, the Giants also struggled, I think, against KJ Hamler, another like speedy wide receiver, you know, Hamler dropped what would have been a 50 yard touchdown week one. I think Deami Brown's a similar type of player. So don't be surprised if he you know, breaks off a long play tonight. Yeah. He had a shorter a dot than we expected in week one, but obviously we know that the talent is there for Deami Brown to get downfield. It only takes a play for him to make a fantasy day there. Antonio Gibson, by the way, we're talking about usage for people. He's the guy in Washington who gave us all the usage that we were hoping for in the opener, 20 carries, five targets that latter mark led the team only one target for jd mckissick so if you drafted antonio gibson you had to be happy with his week one even though he didn't find the end zone yeah definitely encouraging usage still lost most of the third downs to mckissick but we talked about in the preseason like antonio gibson can and will still see targets even though he's not playing on all the third downs because washington's you know scheming stuff up for him in the passing game so gibson looks like like a you know weekly rb1 going forward jd mckissick looks dead like i think even in ppr leagues unless it's super deep you can drop jd mckissick um you know he's, he's just not going to ever be a guy you can trust in fantasy lineups i definitely agree with that unless also taylor heineke gets hurt and they re-sign alex smith so then we're throwing <laughs> right. 200 times yes. at running backs Denver at Jacksonville. The Broncos are six-point favorites on the road with a 45-point over-under. We had an efficient offensive day for the Broncos at the Giants last week. Now they get a Jacksonville team that allowed 449 yards and 37 points to Houston in week one. So basically, just bet on anybody wearing a Broncos uniform at appropriate levels this week. Yeah, I mean, I think Teddy Bridgewater is one of the better streaming options this week. You know, he... He played well. He, he played like Teddy Bridgewater in the opening. He completed 78% of his passes, averaged just 7.3 yards per attempt, but threw two touchdowns. Should have had a third again if Hamler hadn't dropped that bomb, you know, didn't turn the ball over, ran for 19 yards. You know, he gives you that sneaky rushing upside. Losing Jerry Judy obviously hurts, but um, you know, in this matchup against Jacksonville, I, I, think, I think Teddy should have a, a solid fantasy day. And, of course, the first question is Jerry Judy with that high ankle sprain. What's the effect of that beyond Teddy Bridgewater, who I think will be fine because there there's good enough receivers still there. But what's the effect on the other guys? Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, anybody you like? I mean, Patrick and Hamler, you know, they were they were probably at this point already picked up in your league. Um, I think they're we'll see. I mean, Hamler is the guy I like better as a prospect. I, I still think Patrick's going to be on the field a bit more though. You know, Hamler is the, the slot guy, but when they're in two wide receiver sets, it's going to be Tim Patrick out there. And Tim Patrick's a, a solid player. Like he's not exciting, but I mean, he he's, he's been solid when given opportunities. Um, so we'll see how, how, how it all shakes out. I think Patrick and Hamler are both like if kind of desperation plays, if, if you need someone this week because of the matchup, um, I'm excited for Cortland Sutton though, too. I mean, I know, the bo- he, he did nothing in the box score in week one, but he, he played 80% of the snaps. So he, you know, he was already almost a full-time player. He should be getting better off the ACL and with, uh, you know, with Judy out Sutton, if he's healthy, if he's close to hundred percent, you know, should kind of reemerge as, as the clear top wide out here. And we, uh, we always make assumptions about what's happening in most leagues, but what you and I heard from a customer this morning in a league where somebody dropped Cortland Sutton because of his bad week one. I mean, if you drafted Cortland Sutton, I don't know how you drop him, the week after Jerry Judy goes down for a month and a half or two months. I think 
I, I can't say for sure that Cortland Sutton is going to be the lead wide receiver target for Denver, but that's certainly the bet at this point. So, I mean, he belongs on teams. I think Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler both belong on rosters in leagues of 12 plus teams. And I think all of those guys are startable at certain levels this week. I'm not saying they're all top 30, but there are situations where each of those guys makes sense. And KJ Hamler is the exciting guy because he does all the downfield stuff and we want him to catch those deep balls. But Tim Patrick, as you said, is just always solid. He's any given week, he can give you a four for 67 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, it'd be uh, Sutton, Patrick, Hamler, if I'm ranking the three Broncos receivers for this week. Yeah, same thing for me. Cortland Sutton led the team in routes last week, by the way. Poor PFF grade, but I mean, first game back from the knee. We have to assume he's the number one going forward, like I said. And this is just, just a good matchup for taking a chance on somebody knowing that there is downside risk. Before we get off the Denver side, well, I guess we got to hit the running backs. But before we get out of the passing game, uh, wheels up on Noah Fant because I don't care about Albert O getting involved in that game. Fant still tied for second on the team in routes, led the team in targets. He's an every week starter. I think he's a perfect fit for Teddy Bridgewater, especially now that Jerry Judy's out. Yeah, 22% target share for Fant in week one. You know, again, with Judy playing you know, over half of that game, Fant, Fant looked awesome to me. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, he's, he's, if, if you drafted Fant, I think you're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. What about the running game? You got anything on the, on the Denver running backs? I mean, Talk about an even split. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams both played 50% of the snaps. Uh, Gordon ran a few more pass routes than Javante Williams. It was 46% for Melvin Gordon, 37 for Javante, for Javante Williams. Williams ended up out carrying Gordon 14 to 11, but Williams got the final three carries of the game with the Broncos up like 20 points. So you know, again, even that was basically split while the game uh, was, you know, yet to be decided. So um, that, that's what it is for now. I think it's encouraging that Williams has already made this an even split, you know, as, as a rookie versus, you know, kind of a proven veteran in Melvin Gordon. So I, I like the, you know, long-term outlook for Javante Williams. And I think this week, both these guys are in play as like RB threes because of the matchup. I agree. And the six point line in Denver's favor can only support that before we get away from the Broncos, Jeremy Collier on YouTube wants to know Tim Patrick or James white in a full PPR. And I can understand it's close for me. It's Tim Patrick because the targets he gets are going to be of the longer variety. So it's easier to score points on them. Yeah. It's Patrick for me. And, and the other reason is because I, it, I don't think it's going to be a James white game uh, versus the jets. It should be a game that Patriots can control on the ground. So I think, you know, white's uh, target value might be a, a bit lower than usual this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll see what usual even is under the new circumstances in new sure. England. On the other side of that game, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence fed himself in garbage time in week one, mm-hmm. more garbage time than we would have guessed also through three interceptions against a Houston defense that really spent the offseason trying to get worse. So I'm not touching Trevor Lawrence if I don't have to against uh, Denver this week. Yeah, definitely benefited from that volume. He threw it 51 times. Uh, Jacksonville ran 68 plays, which is above average. Um, Lawrence finished 28th in uh, week one PFF passing grade. So definitely a shaky performance. And, and you know, he, he he's probably going to have a lot more garbage time games this season with how that Jacks team looks. And it might even happen this week, but um, you know, not something you love to rely on. And, you know, you know this Broncos defense looks like it's going to be a problem. So, um, you know, Lawrence definitely outside the top 12 quarterbacks this week. And it's better to bet on garbage time for receivers than it is for quarterbacks, because chances are if a, if a team gets into garbage time, the quarterback probably wasn't playing very well before that. So it's pretty risky to bet on a guy playing poorly and delivering you fantasy points. It's not always going to go the way that it did for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrence's third TD last week, by the way, too, came with like five seconds left. 
So, I mean, yeah, he, he, got, he, he got lucky if you started him last week. His wideouts, I think, are all in play. DJ Chark led with 12 targets in the opener, but caught just three of them. Marvin Jones led in routes, um, but all three of them were close in that category. And it was Jones and LaVisca Chenault getting nine targets apiece. I, I think the volume will be there. It would be uh, Jones, Chenault, Chark for me still. To, to me, I, I'm just wondering if DJ Chark is going to be a less efficient version of Marvin Jones, which is already a little bit inefficient. Right. Um, yeah, ugly you know, ugly result for DJ Chark. The usage was really good though. He was second on the week in air yards, 199 air yards. Like you said, he led the Jags with 12 targets. Um, he was, he was eighth in our expected fantasy points model, which, which we're going to debut here, but it's basically just looking at, you know, all the usage a player gets where it comes on the field and kind of, you know, putting it all into one number based on what an average player would do. So Chark was eighth among all wide receivers and expected fantasy points. He, you know, well, well, underperformed that but if he keeps getting that usage you know with a quality quarterback in Lawrence who you know will start getting better um I, I think chart chart could be a good buy low right now if his you know owner is disappointed with the week one that's kind of too bad that he scored a touchdown in week one otherwise it would look yeah. worse than it did true the Jaguars backfield is something I would definitely try not to use <laughs> against Denver it would still be James Robinson over Carlos Hyde but the fact that that's even a question one week into the season makes me want not not want to play either guy in week two yeah, we've gone too long talking about the Jags without saying that, you know, Urban Meyer is, is the idiot that we kind of thought he was. Like, I am just I, I think he's just going to hamstring this offense all season, which sucks. Um, James Robinson's usage was a bit better than if you're just looking at, you know, the, the final box score between him and, and Carlos Hyde. Robinson played 63% of the snaps. He, he ran a pass route on 64% of the pass plays and out-targeted Hyde 6-2. to two. So Robinson is at least the, you know, primary pass catching back here. Hyde ended up out carrying Robinson nine to five, but Hyde got six carries late in the game when, you know, it, it was over. So, you know, Robinson was even beating Hyde and carries for most of this game. Now Hyde is playing too much, too much than he should be more than we thought he was going to be. So that that's going to be an issue, but I still think Robinson is like a lower end RB two going forward. You kind of knock him probably back into RB three range in this matchup, but I mean, he's not, he's not dead. Um, he's probably not going to pay off if you took him in the you know fourth or even fifth round, but I think he's going to be a guy you can still start most weeks. Yeah, I'm playing somebody like Jamal Williams over him this week, though, while we wait and see what usual looks like. Yep, that's fair. Let's end it on a semi-positive note for the Jaguars because we all wondered whether they were heading into the season without a tight end. And James O'Shaughnessy is like, not so fast, my friend. This is Lee Corso. He tied Chenault for third on the team in routes in week one, eight targets, 15.7% of Trevor Lawrence's total attempts. Chris Manhurts vultured a touchdown, but that was his only target. He only ran eight routes. So it was it was James O'Shaughnessy for 44 targets in the game. I'm not saying that he's a must-own or even somebody that we're going to have to pay real attention to, but I think that James O'Shaughnessy could be this year what Eric Ebron was last year, which is tight end 15 in total in points per game. Yeah, the Jag, the, the, who'd they add? Was it um, Hollister? Well, yeah, it was Hollister, right? Who ended up being a healthy scratch in week one. So we'll see if he gets involved. I, I think O'Shaughnessy probably worth owning in like FFPC leagues and maybe like fantasy leagues of like 14 plus teams. Some of them we get to buy weeks could be useful. Just a guy who can give you, you know, five, six targets at tight end. But yeah, like you said, the usage, the, the pass routes, the targets were all there. Um, and again, this Jags team, I think there's going to be a lot of pass heavy games for Jacksonville just because they're, they're, they're going to be trailing so often. Yeah, maybe Dalton, Dalton Schultz for last year's Cowboys yeah, yeah. is a better comparison. Plus, if you have James O'Shaughnessy, you can pretend that he's Irish and you can practice your Irish accent while you're watching your Jaguars games over the weekend. Perfect. 
Buffalo at Miami, the Bills by three and a half. It's an over-under of 48. Whether to start Josh Allen is not really a question if you drafted him. The good news for you as a Josh Allen owner is that last year he threw seven touchdown passes across basically a game and a half of action against Miami, which played solid defense last year. So it's a potential get-right spot for Josh Allen this week. Yeah, these these you know, Buffalo has put up a ton of points versus Miami in the past couple of years. And these games in general have – uh, turned out to be higher scoring. Um, and, th- you know, this year it's only through one week, obviously, but both these teams are top five in situation neutral pace. So they both played fast in week one. So I, I kind of like this game as a shootout. I like I like the over uh, 48 points. Mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs obviously never comes out of fantasy lineups. Cole Beastly, 13 targets match Stefan Diggs in week one, about 25% of Josh Allen's attempts. So it's pretty easy to start him this week as well. And there's also some stuff to like about Emmanuel Sanders coming out of week one, right? Yep. Um, Beasley was 11th among wide receivers in expected fantasy points. He's going to turn out to be such a massive value. He's going like, you know, wide receiver 60 in drafts. He's probably going to finish as a top 40 PPR wide receiver. But did Um, the expected fantasy points factor in vaccine status? (laughs) They don't, but we're going to work that in uh, to the model going forward. All right. (laughs) Yeah. um, Sanders had impressive usage. And I know Josh Allen missed him for what would have been or what could have been a long touchdown in that game. So, you know, the, the box score could have been even better. But, um, you know, ran her out on 94% of the pass plays, you know, on a pass heavy team, uh, 16% target share for Sanders. He was sixth among all wide receivers in air yards. So, I mean, you know, Gabriel Davis scored another touchdown. That's just what he does. But, you know, he, he still is the clear fourth wide receiver on this team. It's Diggs, Beasley, and Sanders as, you know, kind of basically on the field for every pass play for Buffalo. Yeah, Gabe Davis is going to have a nice game here and there, but he's going to frustrate you more than he's not if you try to own him and, and decide when to start him. So Dawson, not – no, go ahead. Yeah, I was, was going to say with Davis, he was on the field a, a ton – in week one, or not a ton, but a lot. He, he ran her out on 60% of the pass plays. The Bills had four wide receivers on the field for 45% of their snaps in week one, which is insane. I mean, they were one of the heaviest teams in four wide receivers sets last year, and they were at 16%. Um, so we'll see how how high they stay this season. I don't think it's going to be 45%, but um, yeah, that, that's at least good news for Davis. He, he, he's probably going to pay off for like your best ball teams, but season long, um, you know, he's he, his floor is just so low. I would never want to start him without an injury to one of these top three guys. Yeah, best ball is the time for him unless Emmanuel Sanders goes down. That All those four wide receiver sets helped Dawson Knox remain quiet in yep. week one, but he was efficient, so he's not on the main starter radar, but you know, at least played well. Yeah, just 45% of the pass routes for Dawson Knox, 8% target share, so you know, he's going to need those to come way up to be someone we can trust. I guess the biggest question for Buffalo might be whether Zach yeah. Moss plays at all in week two. And maybe, I mean, I guess it's not the biggest question because even if he plays, he's not going to do a whole lot. It's not a backfield yeah. to count on heavily. Devin Singletary had a nice game against Pittsburgh, and even he just had 11 carries, 72 yards, three catches for eight more. Yeah, I mean, 11 carries and five targets up for Singletary. Like, you know, that's that's fantasy starter worthy. It was obviously a tough matchup against Pittsburgh in week one, easier this week against Miami. So we'll see. I mean, if Moss is a healthy scratch again, I'd feel comfortable using Singletary and fantasy lineups. It becomes a bit shakier if Moss is active. Like I'd, I'd still expect Singletary to lead the way, but you know, Moss probably because Matt Breda was active, but he was not hardly involved in the offense at all. So we'll see on Sunday morning if Moss is up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even with uh, no Zach Moss, um, Devin Singletary is more Naheem Hines than he is Jonathan Taylor. Yes.
On the Miami side, Tua was just okay against New England last week. And uh, along with him, Devontae Parker and Jalen Wallow were just okay. Now they get Will Fuller back from his suspension. I, what, what are you doing with the Miami passing game in this one? Because this is a, I, yeah. I, I don't know if it's a tougher matchup or a similar matchup for the passing game than the Patriots are. I think it's, I think it's similar. I, maybe, maybe easier. I don't know. I think, I think Patriots defense might end up being tougher on quarterbacks than Buffalo's. We'll see. I, I you know, I think getting Will Fuller is going to be huge for two. And now he has those three strong wide receivers, kind of the, one of the reasons we liked him um, this summer. I, it, it'd still be a wait and see situation for me if possible, but you know, I, I definitely like Tua more this week than I did last week. Okay. Uh, Mike Jasicki is somebody to not like more this week than he did last week because he saw a disappointing usage, 60% route rate. He tied Albert Wilson in that category, just three routes ahead of Durham Smythe, which is probably even worse considering they're both tight ends, I guess. Um, The best hope, I think, is that Mike Jasicki remains inconsistent because the other side of that is that he now is consistently being used less. That would certainly be worse than if he's just unpredictable. Yeah, I mean, Gasick is a guy I try to keep on fantasy rosters at least another week or two just to see what happens to this usage. Because, you know, like you said, the 60% route rate, um, he only saw two targets, and that, that was without Will Fuller. So, like, you know, what happens when they Miami gets that strong third-wide receiver in the mix now too? So, um, Gasicki definitely someone I would try to bench this week. Mm-hmm. Backfield, there were touches for all three as expected. Miles Gaskin was probably uh, – I don't know. I guess he's the nominal leader as we expected. I don't know. Was it mm-hmm. – the level that you expected it at was it more was it less about what i expected i guess i mean nine carries for gaskin eight total for malcolm brown and salvat Ackman. you know gaskin was the the leader in the passing game which is i think is what you were hoping for if you drafted him he saw five targets he ran a pass around 57 percent of the pass plays um so that that he he has that going for him now it's another case where like now that will fuller's back like does that take some of gaskin's passing game volume away um so to me to me, he's an RB three, um, you know, with, with more value in PPR. But I mean, it's 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 definitely still a three headed backfield. Yeah, he looks similar to Chase Edmonds for me. There's not a lot of upside, but if like you if you need a running back and you're looking in that range, Miles Gaskin's okay. Yep. Houston at Cleveland, the Browns by twelve and a half over mm-hmm. under forty eight. Vegas obviously not impressed by what the Texans did at home to the Jaguars last week. Texans did surprise in that game, but now they get a Cleveland team that almost went to Kansas City and won. Uh, I'm not playing any Houston player besides Brandon Cooks. Yes, I'm with you there. I mean, it's interesting too. I mean, I remember we said on the show last week that, you know, Houston had the 21 point implied total. And I, I think I said, like, I definitely take the under there, um, <laughs> which they obviously smashed the over. You know, this week they're down at 17.75. So, you know, Vegas is not as optimistic as they were last week, even about Houston. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Brandon Cooks, the only play. Encouraging opener for him, obviously, five catches, 132 yards, out 21 target share cooks was eighth among all wide receivers and air yards tyron taylor actually looked really good like i would not want to use him outside of two quarterback super flex leagues but he actually played well gave us the rushing um which which to me is just good news for brandon cooks like he's a guy i think you you know can use as a weekly wide receiver three mm-hmm. i agree I, I mean is there anything I, I know that lots of people picked up mark ingram this week yeah. if you did i mean i guess you probably have to use him it really depends yeah. on what else you have but I wouldn't have been shopping for Mark Ingram this week. So I, I don't know if I can reasonably break that one down. I mean, I would still try not to use him. I mean, he, you know, he, he benefited because Houston played 
with the lead that entire game. And, you know, he is their early down, you know, grinder back. But it, it, they still used four running backs. You know, Mark Ingram played 46% of the snaps. David Johnson, 28%. Flip Lindsey, 26%. Rex Burkhead, 13%. Um, so, it's, you know, four-headed backfield. And well, I still think it's going to be a bad offense. They're going to be playing from behind. It'll be nice. You know, hopefully we get to see Houston play from behind this game to kind of see what the backfield looks like in that case. We know what it's going to look like when they're ahead. It's Ingram. But I, I just don't think they're going to be ahead much this season. And shockingly, there were fantasy points for all three of those top three Houston running backs last week. That's that's probably never going to happen again this season. <laughs> no. On the Cleveland side, uh, you're playing anyone in consideration. If you have Kareem Hunt, you love that he scored in week one, especially if he did so in your lineup. But don't lose sight of his usage. Six carries versus Nick Chubb's 15 in a game that they were leading almost the entire way. Three targets versus two for Chubb. It was Hunt well ahead of Chubb in terms of routes. He tied David Njoku for fourth on the team in routes and nearly doubled Nick Chubb in that category. But still, I mean, nine total opportunities for him. That's just, he's not going to score a touchdown most weeks. He will some weeks because he's involved in all the phases, but it's not going to happen a lot. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, this probably isn't even a week you're going to get a lot of passing game volume out of Kareem Hunt if the game goes how we think it's going to be with with Cleveland winning pretty easily. But I, I do think like these running backs could combine for 35 carries and you might get, you know, 12 to, you know, 13, 14 carries out of Kareem Hunt. So, you know, that volume in this matchup, you know, he's he's definitely an RB3 with with upside this week. So, you know, if if I mean if you're not using Hunt this week, like he's just a handcuff to you. You're not going to use him in any matchup. Yes, I agree with that. If you drafted him, he probably should play this week because you were drafting him in round five or six. Um, so, And this is a matchup that he should be able to capitalize. I mentioned he did tie David Njoku for fourth on the team in routes. That was ahead of Austin Hooper. Mm-hmm. And Njoku played just three fewer total snaps than Hooper, ran two more routes. So, I mean, that complicates the view. The good thing for that whole situation is the same thing as it is for Kareem Hunt. This is a matchup where anybody could do whatever in this game because Cleveland is probably going to move the ball and score at will. So any chance that you're considering taking among Browns this week, it's a fine spot to take those chances. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued by Njoku and you know, he still ran around and only 48% of Cleveland's pass plays in week one. So that's still kind of, you know, well below what we want, but he saw the five targets. He saw a few downfield targets. He was actually second among tight ends and air yards in week one. So he still needs to, get a bigger share of the pass plays to be someone we can count on. But I mean, for this week, it's already, you know, it's already ugly at tight end behind the top, like seven or eight guys. So, you know, there's, there's upside to Njoku this week, just because, you know, Cleveland should score 30 plus points. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to say that he's flashed before we've fallen for it before. We're not going to fall for it again. He's still just 25. I mean, it's yeah. not like he's been in the league forever. So there's room for David and Joku to become a thing still. And it's, I think noteworthy that Cleveland did not trade him away this off season. So yeah. clearly they still like him to some degree. Odell Beckham Jr., speaking of people we probably don't like as fantasy players right now, has already been ruled out for week two, so the knee's an issue. That leaves Anthony Schwartz, Donovan Peoples-Jones still heavily involved. Anthony Schwartz tied Jarvis Landry and David Njoku for the week one target lead with five targets apiece. Yeah, I mean, he was... Schwartz was definitely part of the game plan. I mean, his his playing time was well behind Donovan Peoples-Jones. It was, it was Landry and Peoples-Jones as Cleveland's top two wide receiver. Schwartz is the number three. But, you know, the five targets he carried, he, he had one carry, Schwartz did. Um, I, you know, he's he's like a DFS flyer still. Um, kind of same deal with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, but it, interesting that, you know, Cleveland was definitely, you know, designing stuff to get the ball in his hands. 
Yeah, I mean, it raised eyebrows when they drafted Anthony Schwartz in round three. Obviously, they like him and they want to capitalize on his speed, but definitely don't lose sight of the fact that Donovan Peoples-Jones ran 50% more routes than Schwartz in week one. Two total routes short of Jarvis Landry's team lead was DPJ. I wouldn't really be considering either one for a redraft lineup in nearly all cases, but you know they're both players to kind of watch the usage going forward. Definitely. Um, you know, Jarvis Landry going to be the clear top receiver here again with Beckham out. So Landry's a strong fantasy play this week. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, no Beckham hurts again. And he's probably not going to have big pass volume here if, you know, Cleveland plays with a big lead. But I, I do think you could see Baker throw, you know, two, three touchdowns pretty easily. So you know, he, he's a he's a fine uh, week two spot starter. Yeah, I agree. If you're deciding between Baker Mayfield and somebody else down in QB two type range, he looks like a higher floor guy to me this week. Yeah. Like I would start Baker over Tua, even though you know Tua mm-hmm. probably throws it 15 more times. I just think Baker's a better touchdown. But yes, I agree with that. On to Cincinnati at Chicago. The Bears by one at home. That's down from three at the open. Over under 45. I don't think this is a game that we should get excited about on the fantasy front. But week one gave us highlights from Cincinnati. The 50-yard touchdown to Jamar Chase. We also got touchdowns from T. Higgins from Joe Mixon, who had the big rushing day. Mixon, obviously a weekly starter until he proves otherwise to us. I do think that there's a little bit of reason for hesitation on the Cincinnati passing game, though. I did the fantasy vision for this one. By the way, if you're new to Draft Sharks, we do fantasy visions every week where we have somebody watching every single game, writing up what we see from fantasy-relevant players on both sides of that game. We post those with the rest of the season rankings on Wednesday every week, so definitely check those out. Lots of good little nuggets that you can get from those. But on the Cincinnati passing game, the Bengals were the most run-heavy team in neutral situations in the entire league in week one. It was something like 32% pass on those, you know, early down situations. Joe Burrow graded out just 19th in passing. You know, that's not a, a killer, but it's not great either. The He also led the entire league in the percentage of pressures that turned into sacks. So the Bengals only ranked 13th in pressure rate but the pressures were becoming sacks. And you combine that with just one carry for two yards for Joe Burrow and just what we've seen in the limited action since come, he came back from the knee injury, we should expect that the rushing is not going to be there like we hoped it would be last year and that the mobility is going to be limited versus as usual. Yeah, at least early on this season. We'll see if it gets better over the course of the year. You know, Burrow's still outside our top 12 quarterbacks this week. He, he probably will be for – a while um but yeah you know, it's so so funny that everyone loved burrow at least early in the summer because the, you know they thought cincinnati was going to be so pass heavy and they were going to be such a fast paced offense you know they, they were middle of the pack in pace in week one but like you said the run the heaviest team you know versus expectation and you know that that's definitely because they have this you know young quarterback coming off a multi-ligament knee injury behind a battle line like they're, they're going to protect him with joe mixon who's a stud you know who we, who we told you to draft all summer hopefully you did because you know he's he's a workhorse um now, Chicago is dead last in football outsiders defensive DVOA through week one. Um, you know, they, they did not look good against the Rams in the opener. So that helps the matchup. Um, you know, I, I think Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, you're starting for sure. But Tyler Boyd was quiet in the opener, you know, only four targets. Um, he, he was still out there. He was still a full-time player. I think he's going to he's gonna have his games. Um, he, he, but Boyd already looks like the number three wide receiver on this team. And that's, you know, it could be an issue when they're not as pass heavy as, you know, we thought they were going to be. 
Yeah, I would play Jamar Chase and T. Higgins this week, high in wide receiver three range. Um, but I would be holding off on Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd because Boyd needs that target volume more than yeah. Chase or Higgins. And that, this, I, I don't expect this to be shootout conditions like it was Minnesota versus Cincinnati. So uh, we'll see. Obviously, Cincinnati's coming up some at least in pass rate versus week one, just because no team does that kind of rate for an entire season. But if they're going to try to stay toward the bottom of the league in that category, it's definitely going to hurt Tyler Boyd. Yep, good point. On the Chicago side, the Bengals D should be worse than the Rams, but week one did not give me any reason to reach beyond Allen Robinson or David Montgomery in the Chicago offensive lineup. Do we know? Do we know Andy Dalton starting this game? Has it made made official? I'm still like holding out hope. Maybe feels. I haven't heard an announcement, but I cannot imagine Matt Nagy already being like, "Okay, guys, you were all right. I'm gonna bench Andy Dalton in week two. Yes, I mean, if you watch this game, you you know Dalton's average depth of throw was low. Like there was just nothing downfield. It was it was 4.5 yards his average depth of throw. That was 31st on the week. It was actually uh, Jalen Hurts at uh, 32nd in average depth of throw, but. I mean, it's just, like Allen Robinson had the targets, 11 targets, 28% target share, but a 4.3 yard average depth of target. Like he, he we're just, we're not going to see the ceiling on a Rob until Fields gets in there. Um, you know, hopefully the Bengals somehow smash Chicago here and, you know, that, that gets us Fields in week three. Yeah. Um, I think Teddy Bridgewater watched this game and was chuckling at Andy Dalton's ADOT. So we also got seven targets apiece for Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney in the opener. Again, I'm going to need Justin Fields before I'm playing Darnell Mooney. I do think Cole Komet is in play like down in tight end two territory, especially against the Bengals. Um, but, you know, it's not a situation to get excited about anything until we get Justin Fields. Yeah, Cole Komet's usage was encouraging. 71% of the routes versus just 20 for Jimmy Graham. So, you know, if you're if you were worried about Graham stealing stuff from Komet, that's not really an issue going forward. Komet was also he was out wide during the slot for 43% of his snaps in week one. That was up from 32% last year. So, you know, he's he's getting more of that you know, wide receiver work. So yeah, Komet's definitely a guy, you know, once Fields takes over, um, you know, he he could work his way into like low end tight end one territory. Pretty sweet gig for Jimmy Graham now, still making all that money and not having to play nearly as much football. He's off in the corner office with just busy work now, I think. <laughs> totally, yep. San Francisco at Philadelphia next up. The Niners by three in this game, over under 50. And I honestly think Vegas just has this one wrong. Both of these teams performed well in week one. The Niners ranked third in offensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. The Eagles checked in ninth in that category. Philly was fourth in defensive DVOA. The Niners 13th there, so... Combine them, and the Eagles were third in overall team DVOA, Niners fifth. So, I mean, let's call that even. If we call them even, how does the road team enter Philadelphia as a three-point favorite? Doesn't make any sense to me. No, I'm I'm going to bet Philly. I'm going to I'm going to put some money on Philly plus the points here. I agree. I think I I'd, I'd make this line like a pick'em or you know one point either way. So, getting the full field goal on Philly, I like that. But yeah, I mean, usually if it's even, then it's a three-point line in favor of the home team, but. Right. And, the other thing, too, is if you point to any of the soft spots for Philly, they're the exact same soft spots on the other side and probably softer. I mean, Jalen Hurts is going to falter. Jimmy Garoppolo is certainly capable of faltering. Are you worried about the Philly secondary? The San Francisco secondary is even worse than Philly's. It's it's a goofy line to me. So we'll move on to the fantasy impact of all that. I think on the Niners side, obviously, Elijah Mitchell was the big fantasy story of this week. You having to pay, you know, 178% of your fab budget to get him off of waivers. I think if you got Elijah Mitchell in your bidding this week, you pretty much have to start him. Now, 
I think that depends a little bit on whether you went to get him because you want him to be one of your starting running backs or whether you did kind of a defensive bid and you just won because the people in your league didn't bid nearly as much. Cause it looks like there was a lot of difference between like high stakes leagues and, you know, big money leagues and your more average fantasy leagues where his price was a lot more reasonable this week. Yeah. I mean, if you got him in a high stakes league, hopefully you're starting him. Cause I'm sure you paid you know 70 plus percent of your fab on him. You know, he, we have Mitchell ranked as like an RB three this week. His range of outcomes is massive. Like, you know, he could finish as a lower end RB one. He could, you know, get eight to 10 carries and, and, and hurt you. Um, I, I went back and watched all of his carries against the lines. I thought he looked good. Not great. I mean, he, he's out, he's, he's fast. He has good bursts. He, he's, he's, he's similar to Raheem Oster. You know, they're similar players. I, I think, and I've, I've seen multiple 49ers beat writers suggest that Mitchell's just going to kind of take over the Mostert role in this backfield. I was like, you know, the, the lightning who the thunder is going to be. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Kyle Shanahan already said that Trey Sermon will be active for this game. So he, he's going to be there. We'll see whether he is ahead of Mitchell, which I doubt, whether he's ahead of Jermichael Hasty. Um, they, what, they just signed Trenton Cannon to the active roster. So, you know, Mitchell's the only one I, I would want to use in fantasy lineups. Um, Sermon definitely should, like, if there's any chance Sermon was dropped in your league, I would definitely grab him because I, 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 I still think at worst he's going to be the one B in this backfield. And, I mean, it's a fluid situation. Sermon could still end up playing a big role throughout the season. Clearly, every single person was wrong about Elijah Mitchell to some degree. But the reason I didn't really like him as a prospect, and obviously the NFL didn't either, he went to the sixth round, is that he was a complimentary back in college at Louisiana. And not complimentary, but he was a split backfield guy. And the thunder to his lightning at Louisiana was Trey Radas, who is now on an NFL practice squad. It's not like he was being marginalized by somebody who was really good. So Elijah Mitchell, anybody who's getting significant carries in the San Francisco backfield is worth owning and using in fantasy. So there's definitely plenty of upside to Elijah Mitchell the rest of the way, but I would not bet on him being, you know, a a clear lead back, definitely not workhorse level. And I, I would, I would worry about the usage, especially because he wasn't involved in the passing game in week one. Yes, I was going to say, so yeah, so two things. I mean, if he gets 12 to 15 carries per game, like he's going to be efficient in this running game and he's going to help you. But like you said, he wasn't involved in the passing game. He ran around just 36% of the pass plays. And Jermichael Hasty got San Francisco's only carry inside the five-yard line. And you know, go, going back to what you said about um, Mitchell being a complimentary guy, you know, he's only like 200 pounds. He's a smaller guy. Um, Hasty's not even a big guy, but you know, he, he got the goal line carry over – Elijah Mitchell. So, you know, that to me, that screams Trey Sermon, who is a big guy. Like he, I think has a good chance to at least get the goal line work. Um, But I mean, you know, Mitchell might just end up being a guy who gets, you know, 12, 13 carries a game, doesn't do a lot in the passing game. and doesn't have big touchdown upside. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully we'll, you know, we'll, we should know more after Sunday. I think the one thing that we know about this backfield is it's going to be frustrating. We expected that coming into the season. And even with Raheem Mostert going down, it's still going to be frustrating. To me, it looks like Jermichael Hasty might be like their version of Brandon Bolden, where he's just always hanging around in New England. He's never quite good enough to do a lot, but he's just good enough that the coach wants to keep him around to just kind of fill in any gaps that they have. I would bet that Trey Sermon is going to work easily ahead of Jermichael Hasty, even if it's not immediately this week going forward. But, you know, we'll see. Certainly none of us were betting that Elijah Mitchell was going to be the week one breakthrough guy. 
Yeah, and the Niners also signed Carrion Johnson to the practice squad, and they're going to get Jeff Wilson back from the pup list in, in week seven. It sounds like he'll be ready then. So, I mean, there, there's, there's still a lot of bodies in this backfield. Right. Elsewhere in that offense, uh, Brandon Ayuk was the other thing in week one, and there's not even an injury to explain that one. So, well, I mean, I guess there was an injury, the hamstring, which Kyle Shanahan mentions. And the way that he talks about it, it sounds to me like he's frustrated that Brandon Ayuk has not made it back from what he originally called a minor hamstring injury. And he's kind of, I don't know, I don't know if punishing, I guess, disciplining him a little bit for that. It also really sounds like Shanahan and like the Niners quarterbacks like Trent Sherfield, which, you know, so- sounds crazy, but he just sounds like that reliable guy who's kind of like in the, in the space he's supposed to be at all times. You know, that's what Shanahan has said all week though. Like, you know, Ayuk just, he needs to, beat out Trent Sherfield, which, which sounds crazy. Um, yeah, there were also some Niners beat writers saying that like Ayuk's performance in training camp tailed off even before the hamstring injury. You know, none of this went reported during August, which is crazy with all the NFL coverage we have. I mean, I, I, ultimately I still think Ayuk is going to become something close to a full-time player in this offense. You know, he probably won't surpass Debo Samuel as the top option, but I mean, in, until we see Ayuk get up to like 70, 80% of the snaps, I, just, I don't see how you can use him in fantasy lineups. If you didn't report something like that in the summer, then don't report it after the fact to us, please. It doesn't <laughs> do us any good. If you say, yeah, we saw him tailing off in the summer. That, that just makes us angry. It's not helpful. Agreed. Trey Lance played four snaps in the opener. It, we were worried about him kind of cherry picking the red zone stuff. And that was where he made his first appearance, but he's also not an auto replace in that area of the field because the second time that the Niners got down to the red zone, Jimmy Garoppolo stayed in there. So that was the only other time they got there. We don't really know how it's going to break down yet. We did see Trey Lance one other time, again, four total snaps. So not a big role. And Jimmy Garoppolo still managed to throw for over 300 yards on less than 30 pass attempts. He did. I mean, against a bad Lions pass defense. Um, I mean, you know, to me, Garoppolo was a low end quarterback too. If we don't, didn't have to worry about Trey Lance stealing red zone stuff, so he's Garoppolo is just not a guy I want to have to mess with. I agree. Anything else on the Niners side? Nope. Billy side, I'm comfortably starting Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, and Miles Sanders this week. I think Dallas Goddard's still in the same territory where he was late in draft season, which is low tight end one territory. It was a, a fine opener for him, but there were a lot of tight ends around the league that beat him in target share beyond the obvious guys at the top of the position. I laid out the whole list in my fantasy vision, but it included guys like Jared Cook for the Chargers and James O'Shaughnessy for the Jaguars. Was that supposed to be your Irish accent? Yeah, just a quick one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the only thing with Goddard is, you know, Zach Ertz, he, he missed some time in that game with a hamstring, but he, he came back, Ertz did. Um, then, but he didn't practice on Wednesday, so keep an eye on that. If Ertz is out, then Goddard should be you know something close to a full-time player. Then you're talking about like a top eight tight end. Otherwise, he's you know a, a low-end tight end one. I um, mean, yeah, I'm with you on Jalen Hurts. I thought he looked excellent in the opener as a passer. Even again, he had the low A dot. It was a lot of short stuff, but he, you know he he did what he had to do on the short stuff. He was second among all quarterbacks in PFF's passing grade in Week One. He was first in adjusted completion percentage. Um, and then he still gave you the rushing seven carries for 62 yards. Hertz has now finished as a top 12 fantasy quarterback in all four of his full games, you know, the three last year. And then he was uh, you know quarterback five in week one this year. So, I mean, you know, he, he's just, he's, he's locked in as a quarterback one going forward. I think. Yeah. A lot of short stuff in that one. I would imagine that they won't stay quite as short because I would think that defenses adjust to that and start playing it, but 
they are also set up with lots of speed at wideout to be able to capitalize on the short passes and room to run after the catch. Uh, to that end, I, it was nice to have Jalen Rager score a touchdown and catch all six of his passes in week one, but he basically had Debo Samuel's A dot from last year in week one. His touchdown, his 20 plus yard touchdown, came on a catch in the backfield that he took the entire way to the end zone. So a nice start, but I'd l- I'm going to need to see a little more before I'm using him. And then Quez Watkins. Quiz Watkins got the ball on their first three offensive plays and then not again the rest of the game. I was so excited. I took Quez Watkins in like the 18th round of a bunch of <laughs> underdog drafts. I was like, here we go, baby. Quez Watkins, number one receiver for Philly. Uh, yeah, he, Watkins ended up rotating with Greg Ward and uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Um, so, you know, he, he's not a fantasy option. I'm with you on Rager. Like, he's still a wait-and-see guy for me. Um, he only played 70% of the snaps. Which, it's not a horrible number, but, you know, he's, he wasn't a full-time player. Um, so yeah, he, you know, he's still a bench guy. And then Devontae Smith just, I already looks like Philly's top receiver. Mm-hmm. And the, by the way, Zach Ertz ran an awesome pick route on Devontae Smith's touchdown where he ran right at the defender and then yeah. pulled up before making any contact. So he couldn't get flagged for the penalty. It was, it was That's, amazing. Yeah. That's why you don't trade Zach Ertz. The veteran savvy. That's right. New Orleans at Carolina next up saints by three and a half over under 45 points. A nice debut for Jameis Winston as the starter for the Saints, but I'm going to need something besides a super fluky (laughs) passing line before I'm thinking about using him in a fantasy lineup outside of a two QB league. 14 of 20 passing, 148 yards, five touchdowns, and even his rushing efficiency was completely out of line with the rest of his career. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely a fluky stat line, but I mean, he, he looks good. I mean, obviously to have that type of efficiency, he was sixth in PFFs passing grades for week one uh, like you said gave us the rushing um you know yeah he, he's still he's still not really anywhere close to our top 12 quarterbacks you know, he, he's a mid-range quarterback too in our week two rankings this, this panthers defense by the way i think it might be much better than it has been recently much better than it was last year the, these teams the saints through one week are first in defensive dvoa and football outsiders and the panthers are third you know again it's only one week but um you know, this 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 could be a defensive battle yeah, and the Panthers played better on defense over the second half of last year than they did even in the first half. And, you know, I, I, we know this, but it's worth remembering that the whole coaching staff was new last year. So it's yeah. sensible that things got better through last year and then yeah. in year two. So it will be something to watch, but I agree. I think the Panthers' defense is usable in this game. I think if it's a game that might not feature a whole lot of points. It's a game where I'm probably not reaching too far for fantasy options. And speaking of reaching, Marquez Callaway probably – left you feeling like an idiot if you played him in week one, but at least a large chunk of it was the game going in a goofy way that none of us really could have predicted. I mean, we mentioned the passing numbers for Winston. The Saints only attempted 21 passes for the game. Callaway ran a route on 92% of Jameis Winston's dropbacks that led the team. So he had the role that we expected. There just were no targets there. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's tough for a receiver when your team only throws – 21 passes. Um, you know, Kelby also had the Jair Alexander matchup for at least some of his snaps. So, um, he, you know, he's, he's, he looks the same to me as he did heading into week one. Like, you know, and it's nice to see Jameis play so well. That can only help Callaway. So, you know, he, he's like a wide receiver four. you know, if you need him in deeper leagues as a wide receiver three, he's okay. He still, Callaway still looks like the saints clear number one wide receiver. 
Mm-hmm. I haven't checked his price on the DFS sites yet, so I'll be curious to see that ahead of tomorrow's shows. The target leaders for the Saints, by the way, Adam Troutman at six, Alvin Kamara at four, and Juwan Johnson at three. So it took three targets to rank third on the team in that category. The takeaway from that list, by the way, is don't quit on Adam Troutman just because yes. Juwan Johnson was the guy who lucked into a pair of touchdowns. Yeah, Troutman is the Saints' top tight end. Like, if they're available on your waiver wire, Troutman – is the guy you want. He ran around on 75% of pass plays. Jermon Johnson was only at 42%. Like you said, Troutman doubled up Jermon Johnson six to three in targets. And Johnson obviously did get um, both of the targets inside the 10 yard line. Troutman didn't see any of those, um, but you know, that, that could be just a fluke one-off thing. Um, Trout, Troutman, you know, definitely usage wise is the top guy there. Are they going to be Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron from the Colts of a few years ago? Who's, who's Ebron? I mean, the guy who scored two touchdowns. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, could be. Yeah, it's where Jack Doyle was the lead receiver in terms of volume, and then Eric Ebron came on to score 11 touchdowns, I think, that season. Yeah, could be. On the Carolina side of this game, I'm not playing Sam Darnold this week unless I punted on quarterback in the draft and, like, you know, really wait until the end and I'm looking low in QB2 range. Um, I am – I still think I would play him over Jameis Winston this week because – his receivers are light years ahead of what Jameis Winston's are. I'm not reaching over steadier options, but I feel better about Sam Darnold plus, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, Terrace Marshall than I do about Winston and his crew. Yeah. I'd probably start Darnold between those two as well. So we'll have to flip those in the rankings. The more I looked into this. So the nice, I mean, Darnold played well enough in the opener. He completed 69% of his passes. Didn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, a lot of it was short stuff to McCaffrey and, and DJ Moore, but, you know, that's, that's the, the benefit of playing with these guys. The other nice thing for Darnold, Carolina was third in situation neutral pass rate in week one. So it was a pass leaning offense, which, which makes sense. So you have three awesome receivers. You have the best pass catching back in the NFL. Like they, they should be a pass leaning offense, encouraging debut for Darnold. I think he gets the saints without top cornerback Marshawn Lattimore in this game. So it's, you know, Again, the Saints were first in defensive DVOA, but if, if you look at the secondary, like there's nothing really to worry about there, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Darnold, not a top 12 guy, but um, a nice two-quarterback league play and maybe a spot starter in deeper leagues. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting, by the way, we've mentioned DVOA a few times, but it, there's not really a D in DVOA yet because there's nothing to adjust the defense, <laughs> the defensive matchups for. Um, but, you know, it's still, it's still definitely a stat worth quoting. Um, I'm going to overlook Robbie Anderson's quiet week one because the usage was there. Um, Terrace Marshall might've been slightly more involved than we expected, but otherwise it really looked like at the top of the wide receiver depth chart, what we expected things to look like for the Panthers that Robbie Anderson right with DJ Moore in terms of role. Yeah. I mean, I thought the the playing time was exactly like we expected. I mean, DJ Moore ran around on 92% of the pass plays. Robbie Anderson was at 89%. You know, that, that's, that's, that's what you want. Terrace Marshall was down at 65%. It was, you know, Anderson just got the three targets, 9% target share. He, he's probably going to have more games like that this season, just because there are two other quality wide receivers and Christian McCaffrey, who like, you know, Caroline just wants to get him 30 touches a game, evidently. Um, but I also think Anderson's still going to have games where he gets seven or eight targets. Um, you know, he still looks good, obviously on the long touchdown. Um, so, you know, he, he's a boomer bust wide receiver three, you know, most wide receiver threes are boomer bust. Um, I still think Anderson, I I'd still start him this week. You know, we'll see if he has another low volume game, it'll be time to worry. I mean, how many wide receivers are not boomer bust besides like Keenan Allen? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dan Arnold, by the way, ran as many pass routes as Christian McCaffrey in week one. So uh, a usable guy at some level, again, it all depends on the kind of league that you're playing in and how far down you're looking. I'm certainly not touting Dan Arnold, but 
worth knowing how much he played uh, in that one. You already mentioned Marshawn Lattimore being out probably this week following thumb surgery. That certainly helps the matchup for the whole passing game on the Carolina side. Anything else from that game? No, I just wanted to say, you know, this I did I did this game for FVs for Fantasy Vision, so I, I you know rewatched it. Uh, Terrace Marshall came close to having a bigger game. He had a, a couple uh, just misses. You know, there was a back shoulder throw that would have gone for like twenty yards that he just couldn't come up with. He had two of Carolina's six red zone targets, including one where he he was open and Sam Darnold sailed it over his head. Um, so you know, it was an encouraging game for Marshall. I, I still think he's going to pop for some big games this season. Yeah, I agree with that. You're going to have to, you know, be ready for volatility. No going yes. in that there's a low floor to it, but there's definitely a ceiling yep. as well. Yep. Rams at Colts Rams by three and a half on the road, 47 and a half over under. I'm using all the main players on the LA side, Matthew Stafford, Cooper cup, Robert mm-hmm. Woods, and feeling pretty good about the way things started for Tyler Higby. Oh yeah, man. H- Higby played every single snap ran a route on 93% of the pass plays. He was at 54% of the pass routes last year. That that's why he was a disappointment. If he's up around 90, like he, you know, he, he could be, he could be in the mix with Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. I think Hawkinson has kind of ascended into the next tier to me. We can talk about him, but uh, yeah, Higby, Higby is going to be a, a big value based on where you got him at ADP. He was, uh, Hawkinson was already up in that tier for me heading into the season. So really <laughs> week one was just confirmation. <laughs> I agree. I like where things are going with Higby. Uh, feeling good about him right now on teams where I have him. Daryl Henderson also dominated week one work in that backfield. Yeah. So, I mean, that certainly has potential to change. Sony Michelle has been on the team for a limited amount of time to this point. But for now, Daryl Henderson looks like a pretty solid running back, too, for, for week two. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised we didn't see more of Michelle. And I'm, I don't know, like he's he's been there three weeks, which is not a ton of time, but it's also not like nothing. Like I thought he'd be ready for a bit more than he got in that opener. Um, so I would still try to keep Michelle stashed, like, you know, worst case, he's a very high end handcuff, but um, yeah, I mean, Henderson looks like a easy weekly starter at this point on his workload. And, you know, at, at wide receiver, did you see Van Jefferson ran more pass routes than Robert Woods? I did not see that actually. Yeah. Cooper cup was at a hundred percent. He was like one of five guys in the NFL to run a route on a hundred percent of pass play. So um, he, you know, he's good to go. Dan Jefferson was at 86%, Robert Woods at 68%, and then Deshaun Jackson was at 36%. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Sean, Sean, I think Sean McVay does, like, game plan stuff more yeah. than a lot of coaches. Um, but worst case, Jefferson is clearly ahead of DJX as, you know, mm-hmm. a, the third guy. We'll see. I'd be surprised if he ends up, you know, running more pass routes than Robert Woods, but definitely something to watch in week two. Yeah, I, I feel like that's something that we also saw at times with Josh Reynolds versus Cooper Cup a couple of years ago. I think sometimes, I mean, Sean McVay obviously knows a lot more about football and offense than I do. Um, I think he also outsmarts himself at times. So we'll see. I'm not going to expect that Van Jefferson stays ahead of Robert Woods in playing time, which is probably why I didn't even bother looking it up. My takeaway from watching the game was Van Jefferson is clearly ahead of Deshaun Jackson, yeah. and that's what helps him be a factor. Yeah, my other takeaway is this. Offense is going to be awesome with Matt Stafford. Like they, they put up the numbers they did. They only ran 50 plays in that game. That, that, I think that was the lowest of the week. Like, you know, they're going to run 65 plays most games. So the, the, the Rams offense, you, you want pieces of it. Yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of an odd game. Um, I, I'm also keeping Michelle stashed. I paid up for him on preseason waivers in our main event league. Um, and I would also, I would throw in that last year at this time, we were all like, wow, I guess Malcolm Brown is the lead back for the Rams. So it's worth noting in all cases that we were one weekend. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, again, I would have liked to have seen him do a bit more, uh, but I don't know, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe he's just not ready yet. 
I sure would have as well. So we'll see what happens going forward. On the Colts side, it, it went oh, it went fine. I'm still not excited about anyone, and it's a tougher matchup this week against the Rams defense than it was week one against the Seahawks defense. So I would say I'm more willing right now to use Naheem Hines than I was this time last week, and it should be a good matchup for him and a threatening pass rush from the Rams plus a mass set of off-the-ball linebackers. Yeah, I, I thought Phillip Rivers was gone from Indy and there was a new quarterback, but it was still a ton of passes to the running backs in week one. Um, eight targets for Naheem Hines, seven targets for Jonathan Taylor. It was a 39% target share combined for the running backs, which is, you know, like like double the NFL average. Um, we'll, we'll see if that continues to be the case. I mean, you know, we, we know Indy's wide receivers are on the weaker side. The tight ends aren't exciting. So maybe, you know, JT and Hines are going to remain a big part of the passing game, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm still in wait and see mode on Jonathan Taylor because, you know, he still only played 55% of the snaps. Um, he only ran a route on 40. Like he, he saw seven targets despite only running a route on 40% of the pass plays. Like it's tough to expect that to continue. Um, but, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think the takeaway is that Hines is going to continue to be a pretty big part of this offense, especially coming off the contract extension that he signed yeah. just before the season. It's clear that they want him to be a significant part there was uh, encouraging usage for Michael Pittman and Zach Pascal in week one. The results were fine. Um, nothing that gets you excited for week two. Uh, my biggest takeaway from Colts receivers from week one, though, is that Paris Campbell remains a guy that I'm just not at all interested in. I just don't see it. Yeah, per- Paris Campbell, you can drop him because he he's the clear number three wide receiver, even before T.Y. Hilton comes back. So, that, you know, there's no reason to be carrying Paris Campbell, I, I don't think. Las Vegas at Pittsburgh Steelers by five and a half at home over under 47. It was a nice debut for Derek Carr. Of course, he was tops in our expected fantasy points rankings for week one. That said, I'm still not using him in Pittsburgh against the Steelers defense that just shut down Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, 56 passes for Derek Carr. The, the Raiders ran 80 plays. You know, that that's kind of how we got to, to where he did. Vegas was fifth in situation neutral pass rate in week one, which is a major surprise. Like you expected them to be a run leaning offense. We'll see if that continues. Um, Carr lost guard Denzel good for the season in week one. Uh, Richie incognito, his other guard might not play in this game and, he, and he's facing, you know, Steelers defense that just, you know, kind of, kind of shut down Josh Allen and the Bills. So, you know, Carr is not someone I'd want to be using this week. And, uh, you know, we, we have our, our expectations for what a team is going to look like, but I think it's encouraging to see the Raiders attack that game in the way that they should have. The Ravens lost Marcus Peters shortly before week one. They had other injuries in the secondary. I mean, they were depleted in the defensive backfield. So Vegas should have been trying to attack them in that range. So it was good to see them doing that. Um, it's, not like, you know, it's, it's not like Carr was throwing to his wide receivers much, though. Right. It was Waller, Waller, Waller. Right. Well, I guess when your tight end is that size, it's tough to see some of the smaller guys that you have as receivers. And frankly, if I was like, let's see, should I throw the ball toward Henry Ruggs or Darren Waller? I I can't fault a guy for throwing 30 targets at Darren Waller. And, and that being said, Darren Waller and absolutely nobody else for the Raiders this week, if I can help it. Yep. Agreed. Um, I mean, man, but- Brian Edwards, I mean, just a funky game, obviously, had had nothing through. Shout out to my buddy, Nate, by the way, who had the over-under uh, three and a half catches for Edwards. He had zero through, like, 59 and a half minutes, and, and the over <laughs> ended up hitting. Edwards caught, caught for a ball, so that, that was cool. Um, Edwards did lead the Raiders wide receivers in pass routes, but he, it was still just 66%. You know, they were rotating four guys. Zay Jones is rotating in as well, so... Edwards looks good to me, but I mean, until we see the usage improve, you can't use him in fantasy lineups. And Henry Ruggs, I mean, I just continue to think he's a bust. 
<laughs> I think that we have all wasted money on something like a significant amount that we just think back and shake our heads. I imagine that every day that Henry Ruggs comes into work, John Gruden and Mike Mayock are like, God, could you could be C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy right now. What was I thinking? Or Justin Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. I mean, at least that nobody yeah. was like, I mean, nobody was screaming loudly. Justin Jefferson is the number one wide receiver in this class. At least those other two people are like, seriously, it's either Judy or CeeDee Lamb. How are you taking Henry Ruggs? But I, I can't, I, I would say I can't imagine the feeling, but I can't because I've <laughs> wasted money and I don't have nearly as much to waste as Mike Mayock or John Gruden. Hunter Renfro, I think, is probably the next most interesting Raider. And just because he's going to get plenty of targets and there's nothing scary in the slot for these Steelers. I, he, I do want to say, well, actually, let me, a couple things before I get away from Hunter Renfro. We had 13 targets for Cole Beasley, as I mentioned before, out of the slot for Buffalo against Pittsburgh last week. So maybe the Raiders see that and they're like, sweet, we have Cole Beasley too. Um I also won some money on betting the over on Renfro's receptions in week one. So maybe that's biasing me toward him. I want to say too, before I get away from the Raiders though, this might be an okay rushing matchup against Pittsburgh. They're missing Stefan to He's on IR to open the season. We did already talk about how Devin Singletary gained 72 yards on just 11 carries against them. So, you know, he kind of glanced over not wanting to start Raiders, but Maybe this week's matchup looks the other way for the Raiders and they give the ball to Josh Jacobs a good bit and he ends up being a solid guy. Yeah, that's a good point about the matchup. Um, you know, to me, the issue with Jacobs is he, he's already dealing with toe and now he's on injury report with an ankle injury and he, he did not practice on Wednesday. So, and, and it looked, I mean, it looked like early in that game. I don't know. I don't know if he was just getting a shoe change or if it was a toe issue because he came out after like his first or second carry and got looked at. He ended up coming back in. I mean, just the fact that he's already banged up like that and, you know, heading into week two has me worried. And then, and then Kenny and Drake was, you know, pretty involved. Um, six carries and five targets for Kenny and Drake. Jacobs carried 10 times and had two targets. So, you know, it's already, a, you know, 60-40, 65-35 split or whatever. So, um, yeah, Jacobs, not, not a guy I'm excited about. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about the toe. And they said on the broadcast that he was wearing a shoe that had a harder bottom for it to help deal with the toe. And he was not yes. – comfy with it. So he was off for a shoe change. I don't know if it was actual reporting on it or if it was speculation on what he was doing, but yeah, either way, that's certainly something to keep in mind. So certainly not, a, not anybody I'm excited about, but if you're looking down in the range, then maybe it's not as bad a, a matchup as you might think with Pittsburgh on the Steelers side, Ben Roethlisberger still needs to answer whether he still has it with his arm. They won last <laughs> week, but I mean, he didn't do a whole lot in helping them do so. Dead last in PFF's passing grades was Ben Roethlisberger, um, 5.9 yards per attempt. He's he's now been under six yards per attempt in six of his last eight games, dating back to last season. I mean, th this this passing game looked exactly like what we got last year. Like it was you know short stuff to to mostly Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, if if Ben does look 15 yards downfield, it's usually Chase Claypool. It's 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 it's, it's the same thing. Ben just might be even worse than he was for, for, you know, most of last season. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, I think all three of the top wideouts are still in play. Uh, it is a more favorable passing matchup this week than it was at Buffalo last week. Yeah. I mean that, you know, the, the pass volume is still going to be there enough to, you know, keep those three wide receivers afloat, even though I know what was it? I think um, Deontay went like five catches for 36 yards. Like it's going to, you know, it's going to be those type of stat lines in this offense. At least until Justin Fields takes over for Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> yeah. 
I think we have to stick with Najee Harris as well. It was a disappointing yeah. debut. Obviously, the mm-hmm. O-line issues look for real, but you love that he played every snap, and really that's why you were drafting him. So, I mean, it's a little early to be giving up on him. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't get running backs playing every single snap. Um, I ran around in 82% of the pass plays. I was hoping for more target volume. You know, he only saw the three targets. Um, I think I, th- I think that'll come up, though, again, if he's running that many pass routes. Um, the O-line's going to be concerned. It's, it's never going to be pretty for Najee Harris, but you know, he, he still is one of the, the better volume bets at running back. I've seen multiple questions already on whether to buy low on Najee Harris. I, there's certainly upside to that, but it's not an offense that I'm excited about. So I would not be aggressively trying to buy Najee Harris right now because it was always you know, some risk that Ben Roethlisberger is deteriorating and the O-line issues get in the way. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's fantasy analysts were like supposed to tell people to buy low on a running back that you know just got that type of usage in week one. And I think the usage is going to continue. I also think the inefficiency is going to continue. I mean, I don't know, but what did he average in week one? It was like three yards per carry. Like that it's 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 gonna he's gonna be a bit more efficient. Um he came close to scoring a couple touchdowns in that game as well. Like he, he's gonna be fine. He's a he's a hold for me. Like I, yeah. I just you know, I don't I don't think he's gonna smash because the O line is so bad, but he's gonna be steady because of the volume. Right. That's where I would land too. I mean, if you are, would I go out and aggressively hunt for him on the trade desk? No. If I have somebody offering me uh, Najee Harris for my Jamal Williams, would I take that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I was going to bring up that exact name, which I'd be shocked if you could get that. But if someone's just looking at the fantasy point totals, maybe you could. Yeah. I mean, the thing, all of these things happen in some leagues somewhere. So it's at least worth uh, mentioning. So let's get away from that one and go to New England Patriots at the New York Jets this week. Patriots by six after it opened at three and a half with a rookie quarterback, as far as I can remember. Over under 42, it's down one point from where it opened. So the Jets are down from an implied total of 19.75 to 18 points. Start with the Patriots offense. It's fine. I'm really, I got to say, I'm happy to mostly be on the outside of it because Damian Harris was good in week one. I would like to have him uh, delivered in that game. Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Johnny Smith, James White, they all hit usable PPR levels in week one. It's not a bad situation. None of them are bad options. It just looks like the kind of target co-op to me that we expected it to be. And I'm not scared that I'm missing ceiling on anybody here if I if I just don't have any of them. No, yeah, I mean, there, there's... There's not much ceiling on this offense. It's going to be, you know, more con- conservative. They're going to Pats are going to try to win with their defense. Um, yeah, Damian Harris definitely the best option at this point. Like you said, um, 23 carries in the opener. They also got three targets, which isn't a huge number, but like usually New England's lead back is you know getting like half a target a game. <laughs> so you know, three targets is not bad for for Damian Harris. Now he did lose that fumble at the end of the game that you know cost the Patriots a chance to win. We'll see if that impacts the playing time. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson was benched early in this game for losing a fumble. He also blew a, a blitz pickup. So I, I don't think they trust him. I think Harris will go right back to the clear lead ball carrier. And it's a great spot for him as a, you know, six point favorite, like you said, against a, a pretty bad Jets defense. And I think Harris has a chance to get 20 carries again in this game. Mm-hmm. We'll get our answer if JJ Taylor is the starting running back in week yeah. two. Yeah. On the Jets side, Corey Davis was all you could have hoped for in week yeah. one. I think that you start him until he says otherwise. Yes, you do. Um, you know, he, he it was what we saw in the preseason. You know, he's Zach Wilson's favorite target that continued into week one. Davis was seventh among receivers in expected fantasy points. So the usage was strong. Um, I think that's that's it, right? That's the only guy you're starting on this offense. Um man, so Zach Wilson, I, I just want to say, long term, I'm buying Zach Wilson. I he he looks the part to me, 
but the O-line is horrible and they just lost their left tackle for like a month. So it's going to continue to be horrible. So Wilson, he's going to struggle because of that. Like I, I, I think he's going to, he's going to hit, I think he's going to be a quality NFL starter once he has better pieces around him. But yeah, it's Corey Davis and that's it right now. I'm still holding Elijah Moore. Um, the playing time was there. Um, he just missed the deep ball early in the game. He had a 22 yard uh, completion uh, reception called back by penalty late in the game. Um, so he's still a hold for me. You obviously can't use him in, in fantasy lineups right now. Yeah. Good usage for him in the first game, bad performance. Uh, we had to know it was a possibility. We've got a rookie wide receiver. We've got a rookie quarterback playing their first game together. Um, still optimistic long-term. Maybe it doesn't work out, but I'm holding him for now as well. Obviously not playing him in week two. And frankly, I'm kind of glad that we didn't get anything to like from the Jets backfield in week one. Cause <laughs> now I don't have to pretend to like anybody from the Jets backfield. I, I guess Michael Carter is still worth stashing. But I mean, otherwise, I think you're better off just cutting these guys. You don't have to worry about it. Like, even if one goes down, they might call up P. Ryan and still have it as a three man committee. Yeah. If I drafted Michael Carter, I'm not cutting him right now. But if somebody else in my league drops him, I'm not like, ooh, I got to go get Michael Carter. <laughs> yes, that's, that's fair. Anything else from either side of that game? Nope. Minnesota at Arizona Cardinals by three and a half over under a 51 in that game. It was a strong day for the passing offense for Minnesota in the loss to Cincinnati. And I think the biggest note for that is they checked in 17th in neutral pass rate in that game. That's up from 27th overall for last season. So, I mean, we'll see if that's just a one game thing or if they're going to throw the ball a little bit more this year. Can't say that after week one, but it's definitely worth watching. And it wasn't just a matter of, of trailing. They didn't fall. They were two touchdowns behind in the third quarter, I believe it was. Um, mm-hmm. But they were more pass than run, even in the first half of that game. So there's a chance that they throw the ball a bit more than they were before. They also had three wide receivers on the field much more than they have in the past, which is, you know, why you got the game you did out of KJ Osborne. And, you know, to me, having three wide receivers on the field, that's just, that's just good news for Kirk Cousins. Like you'd rather have a third wide receiver out there than a fullback or a second tight end. So it kind of arrow up for cousins. The, the O-line I think is a concern, especially in this game after what, you know, Chan, uh, Chandler Jones did to Tennessee. So that'd be my concern with cousins, but otherwise I like him in this game. I still think Arizona secondary is beatable, even though, you know, Tennessee struggled, but I think cousins is going to get decent volume if they're playing from behind. And I think Jefferson and Thielen should, should get open against this secondary. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned KJ Osborne. He was uh, near Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson in playing time. He tied Jefferson with nine targets, just one behind Thielen's team lead. You know, if Minnesota does keep passing more, and again, that's something we're going to have to watch. We certainly can't say they did it in week one. We're going to expect it going forward. KJ Osborne has a shot to be relevant, especially because of the, I guess, kind of muted tight end position for this team now. Yeah, I think Osborne should be owned in fantasy leagues of like 12 plus teams and he could be some of you use in bye weeks. I mean, he's still the clear, clear fourth option in the offense behind cook and the two wide receivers. And then even, you know, Conklin and Osborne might um, rotate weeks as kind of that fourth option. But um, yeah, I mean, Osborne's playing time was there. The volume was there in one game. So he, he's, he's worth a stash. Yeah. Put him on my radar this week and I'm not using him in my week two lineups, but he's on my radar now where he honestly was not before. Yep. Um, on the Arizona side, it went about as well as it could have in Tennessee. You have to keep in mind that that Titans defense is probably going to finish the year as one of the worst in the league. Yeah, it will. Um, but I mean, just more of the same from Kyler Murray is what we saw last year before his shoulder injury. Uh, Murray led all quarterbacks and fantasy points in week one. And that was despite running, just he carried five times for 20 yards. He did score. Um, but, you know, it, was, it wasn't a big rushing game. He did it with his arm. And if he's you know going to take a step forward as a passer and still do what he does rushing, I mean, yeah, he, Murray could 
Murray, I mean, I don't know. Murray or Mahomes right now would be my bet to lead quarterbacks in fantasy points this season. And I might even give a slight lean to Kyler Murray. I could see that. I, I the the reason to not draft Patrick Mahomes was always that we could see Kyler Murray outscoring him pretty easily, and you could get him at a, two, a round and a half to two round discount. So, yeah, nothing yeah. shocking on that front. Um, I guess the most shocking thing was probably Christian Kirk reemerging from being dead. Uh, ran twice as many slot routes as Rondell Moore did in this game. Yeah, uh, I guess this is where preseason can lead us astray because it was Kirk as. Arizona's starting slot receiver in this game. Um, he ran out on 62% of the pass plays. Rondell Moore, just 38%. Um, I, I guess kind of good news, bad news for Rondell Moore. Like he saw five targets on his 14 pass routes. So like he was getting open. Murray was looking for him, but you can't, you can't use a guy in fantasy lineups running a route on just 38% of the pass play. So Rondell Moore is bench stash. Um, Christian Kirk should have been picked up in, most leagues, like I'd say leagues of 10 plus teams for Kirk, he should be owned um, still behind AJ green in the, in playing time. But I mean, green looked like crap again. Um, so, it, you know, it might not be long. Hopefully we get Kirk Rondell Moore, Hawkins, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work with the slot stuff, but you know, th- th- those should be Arizona's three, you know, three top receivers before long. That's not going to happen. It's just, they're <laughs> going to trot AJ Grand AJ green out all season because they paid him. And that's, I mean, that was my concern for Rondell Moore. Not that he couldn't get the ball or that they didn't like him, but that they're just going to spread it around. There are too many guys that this on, is Cliff. a good game for Rondell Moore. Do the right thing, Cliff. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. The RV carries by the way, for that team, 16 for James Conner, 12 for Chase Edmonds. Edmonds got all four running back targets. So you like the game for his usage. You know, he also showed kind of his limitations. There's not a whole lot of touchdown upside here, but he's usable. Well, yeah. So, so I, I, I thought this was an encouraging game for Edmonds. Um, Edmonds and Connor both got one carry inside the 10 yard line. So, Ooh. you know, they, they split that. We, we didn't get any carries inside the five. So, yeah. You know, and inside the 10 is not even really like goal line carry. So, I, I don't know what it means yet, but we'll see. Um, Edmonds dominated the passing game work, which we expected. That's good. And the carries, I mean, Connor ended up out carrying him 16 to 12. Connor got five carries on the final drive when Arizona was up by 25 points. So, you know, it was, it was basically even before that. So I, I think the arrow is pointing up for Chase Edmonds. I think he's, you know, a, a weekly RB2 in PPR and, you know, at least an RB3 in non-PPR. Yeah, good usage for him. Before we get away from this game that in, does include the Titans, a uh, quick question from YouTube. Uh, got offered Najee Harris and CeeDee Lamb for Derrick Henry. So would be trading away Derrick Henry for Najee Harris and CeeDee Lamb. Un- understandably conflicted, Jared. What's your lean in that case? Is it is it PPR? We have to know if it's P- if it's PPR. I would do it for sure. Yeah, I think I, w- I would P- do it if it was PPR. I think in PPR, I would make the trade as well. And if it's anything short of full PPR, I would stick with Derrick Henry. I think even in half, I would do it. I'm. I, I'm, 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 I'm I mean, we're, we're going to get to the Titans' offense here. I'm. I'm worried about Tennessee's offense, and if they're not good and the defense sucks, like that's going to be a, ba- a lot of bad game scripts for for Henry. All right, let's go ahead. Let's skip ahead to the Tennessee game at Seattle. We'll go back to the other couple games on our list in between. But Tennessee at Seattle, Seahawks by five, over under a 53 and a half. And like you just kind of alluded to, it was a bad week one for Tennessee. They checked in 31st in offensive DVOA, um, only ahead of Green Bay. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess we have to uh, – that's worth noting in that if, if we think that Tennessee is in awful shape, then what do we say about Green Bay? And, you know, obviously it's not quite that black and white, but yeah. it is one week. So what's the concern here? I mean, to watch the game, you have to be concerned. I think Tannehill didn't look good. Uh, PFF had him 25th in passing grades. And I, you know, I 
talked a lot this summer how I was worried about Arthur Smith's departure and Atlanta's offense sucked too. So, you know, me, I don't know, maybe it's not that, but Ryan Tannehill, what, what's made him so good the past couple of years is how good he's been in, in the play action game. You know, he was top six last year in yards per attempt and PFF passing grade on play action passes. And Tennessee went play action on 36% of their passes last year. They, they called play action on just 11% of their passes in week one. And you know, maybe it's game script. Maybe, you know, they're playing from behind. They, they don't, think they need to you know show run or whatever we'll, we'll see um but i was concerned about the offense to begin with and obviously week one you know didn't didn't make me feel any better about it yeah Derek brown of ftn pointed out the summer that todd downing in his previous stint as offensive coordinator with the 2017 raiders did not run much play action and as you just mentioned ryan Tannehill has thrived on play action in tennessee i guess going in i would think that given that todd downing coached under arthur smith last year with this team he'd be like oh this play action stuff seems to be going pretty well for these titans <laughs> and we have derrick henry so play action even if i'm not buying into play action working in general which you probably should based on the research that's out there at this point you should at least buy it for derrick henry's offense so you would think that the guy would be like all right i need to add play action to my general scheme maybe that still happens but it didn't happen in week one so that's definitely a concern combined with just what Tennessee did on offense in that game. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line struggled. Um, you know, you had Taylor Luan taking to Twitter saying like, I'm going to be better because I just got my butt kicked by Chandler Jones. So you know, that's a concern. Julio Jones, like it's only one game. I'm not panicking, but you know, he, he didn't look great obviously. And if, if he's not Julio Jones, like there's not much weaponry outside of AJ Brown and Henry. So I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely, I, I'm, you know, I'm way more concerned about Tennessee than I am like green Bay or any of these other offenses that struggled in week one. I agree with that. I think you have to play Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown this week. Julio Jones, a lot more iffy. It really depends on who you're weighing him against, but it is at least a positive matchup with a shaky set of Seattle corners. Yeah, I mean, Julio's already – he's already lost, like, must-start status for me, but, I mean, you'd have to be loaded at receiver, which some teams might be, to bench Julio. But um, I'd, I'd lean towards giving him one more week. Ryan Tannehill, I think, is still in play. I would definitely play Kirk Cousins over him this week. Tannehill, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield would be a a tight call among those guys. I think the positive here is that Carson Wentz threw for 251 and two touchdowns against Seattle last week. So that makes me want to give Ryan Tannehill and the new offense one more week to see. But in that range, I I got it. It's, It's picking a name out of a hat among those three. I would probably play Tannehill over Joe Burrow. I would probably ultimately lean Baker Mayfield, but that one's really a coin flip. I mean, I think at least, you know, at least you have the high over under um, Tennessee's implied for, I mean, 23 and a half points. It's a decent number, but like I, I kept, I had so much Titans and DFS last week and I kept, kept waiting on you know, the second half for Tannehill to get some garbage time numbers and he couldn't even do it then. So like, I mean, I'm just, you know, he, he's, I, I, like I'd start Baker over him this week, I think, just because I, I think Brown's offense is going to put points on the board. I'm not sure I can say the same about Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be my thinking as well if I had that decision to make. Um, So we'll see on the Seattle side. I think it's not very dramatic because you're playing everybody who makes sense. Gerald Everett might be a little bit inflated right now by the fact that he scored a TD in week one because he was even with Will Disley in week one playing time and got one fewer target than Disley did. Yeah. I mean, just two targets for Everett. Disley had three, as you said. Disley ran a few more pass routes. Um, Someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone said it, you know, it's kind of like Higby. And Everett last year under, you know, Sean McVay, now you have Shane Waldron, the McVay disciple, you know, using two tight ends. I think it's going to continue. I still think Everett is the better fantasy bet, but um, yeah, just, just, just be careful. Again, if he hadn't scored last week, it, it would look like a dud. 
Um, anything else from that game? I mean, Chris Carson, RB1, which we, we kind of knew, but I mean, losing Penny, you know, Rashad Penny's going to miss at least this game with a calf injury. You know, that, that only helps Carson's workload. Oh, yeah. I've been smiling about Chris Carson since draft season. So we'll move on from that game and back to Atlanta at Tampa Bay where the Bucks are 12-point favorites. So the over-under 52 points might make you think that it's like a shootout and you want pieces all over this game. But the implied totals for this contest are 32 for the Bucks and 20 for the Falcons. And that is exactly how it should be, if not even giving the Falcons a little bit too much credit for this one. I'll play Calvin Ridley. I will play Kyle Pitts. And I will play no other Falcon. I think Kyle Pitts is the one where people watch what he did last week and they're like, uh oh, maybe I was wrong about Kyle Pitts. But the usage was good. He was just out of bounds um, with his with a catch on his first target of the game. So obviously that one went for an incompletion, but was a catch. Um, he lost another reception to an offensive PI call on a teammate. So uh, there's two catches that he could have had. He had 22.9% target share for that game against Philly. And he also had an 18 yard catch that was Atlanta's longest play of the game. So, I mean, overall it was a fine game for Kyle Pitts in a game where his offense stunk overall third among tight ends in our expected fantasy points model. So yeah. Usage was like everything you could have hoped for, if not even better. He ran a route on 80% of the pass plays Pitts was in the slot or out wide on 76% of his snaps. So, you know, he, he basically was playing, wide receiver. So that, that's perfect. Um, the concern is the offense. Like I, I guess if Tennessee is the offense I'm most concerned about, I would put Atlanta at number two. Uh, you know, just, just an ugly performance against, you know, we'll see how good the Eagles defense ends up being. I don't know. Uh, but Matt Ryan did not look good. He was 26th in the NFL in uh, PFF week one passing grades and Arthur Smith, by the way, you know, it's just one week, but it looks like he, he brought Tennessee's offense to Atlanta Atlanta was 31st in situation neutral pass rate. So they were trying to run the ball, which is obviously what they did in Tennessee. And then Atlanta was also, uh, e- they easily led the league in uh, use of two tight ends at 47%, which is, you know, what Arthur Smith did in Tennessee. And that, that's not a bad idea in, in Atlanta when you have Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst. But I don't know. I, I, I was hoping Smith would adjust his offense to the personnel in Atlanta. And, you know, through one week, it, it doesn't look like he's done that. Yeah, he was like, obviously, I know we don't have Derrick Henry here. And then his offense is like, I think we have Derrick Henry here. <laughs> Let's go to Tampa. And you play everyone unless they're a running back. Because Bruce Arian says that Ronald Jones is going to start this game. And I say he's definitely not starting for my team. No, he's not for mine either. Um, I was planning on starting Leonard Fournette in some spots. I still might because, again, you have the 32-point implied total for Tampa. The Falcons' D is not good. There's going to be a lot of touchdowns to go around here. You know, Fournette's usage was – like better than even I expected. And I was optimistic about Fournette this season, but he played 65% of the snaps, um, nine carries and seven targets. Um, you know, I, I obviously had the, he had the draft that turned into an interception, but I mean, now that Ronald Jones is starting, I don't know what to make of it. Cause like Jones could get off to a hot start against this defense. And then Fournette, you know, doesn't see the field as much. So um, still a wait and see situation. I think Jones and Fournette are both in the RB three mix just because again, if we think Tampa's going to score four or five touchdowns, like there's touchdown upside to both of those guys. I'll give him that. And Bruce Arians clearly likes Ronald Jones because there have been plenty of things where he could say, Ronald's going to have to prove it to me, and he doesn't. He's like, yeah. no, Ronald's my starter. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a love-hate thing. <laughs> like, you know, the, the guy fumbles in the opener. He doesn't see the field the rest of the game. I don't know. Uh, it's strange. Yeah, it's clear that he wants to keep bringing him back, though. So it's it's going to be to the detriment yeah. of all of our fantasy teams. So let's yeah. move on to Dallas Cowboys at the L.A. Chargers. The Chargers by three and a half in this game, over under 55 and a half. It's up three and a half from where it opened. And I mean, this is where it's going to be at. 
for fantasy this week. The Chargers implied total is up two from where it opened. The Cowboys are up a point and a half. The Cowboys, of course, posted big numbers at Tampa last week on Thursday night. The Chargers, meanwhile, racked up 424 total yards, only 20 points against Washington in week one. Dallas, since that game where there was plenty scoring on both sides, has lost both defensive ends. Randy Gregory's on the COVID list right now. Demarcus Lawrence fractured his foot in practice on Wednesday, so both of those guys will be out for this game. Uh, safety Donovan Wilson's also nursing a groin injury, so he's iffy. It's already not good defense, <laughs> losing multiple starters. Uh, there should be lots of points. I'm starting everybody. Should be lots of points. You know, this should be the most popular DFS game of the week. I, I guess we'll start with the Chargers. You were mentioning all the Dallas defensive injuries. I mean, I, I loved what I saw from the Chargers offense last week. Like They didn't put a ton of points up on the board. You know, Herbert didn't have a massive fantasy game, but I, I thought Justin Herbert looked great. Um, you know, they, they had, we talk about Mike Williams, you know, in, in just a, a more diverse role than he's played in really his career so far. You know, he, he's just running more routes. You can go to the next gen stats page and look at Mike Williams route tree. Like it's, you know, it's not just deep stuff. He's kind of running everything. So that's exciting to see. The offensive line was awesome. I, all the O-line gurus that I follow on Twitter were like, you know, going nuts about how well the Chargers O-line played, especially Rashawn Slater, their rookie tackle. Um, Herbert had the lowest pressure rate in the entire league in week one you know, facing Washington's pass rush might be, you know, the best pass rush in the league. So I- I'm excited about walk- about the Chargers offense. And, you know, th- this is obviously the week I think it-, it turns into fantasy points against this Cowboys defense. Yes, I absolutely agree with all that. And, you know, you always you, you try to say it's one week. Don't overreact. But the Mike Williams stuff that comes after a summer of them talking him up, his quarterback saying he's ready to break out. They, yeah, everybody around the Chargers said Mike Williams is going to do some stuff this year. So when something like that changes following how the summer went for him, I'm buying it with Mike Williams for sure. Um, I don't think there's, I mean, I think you really hit it on everything over there. Jared Cook is now in starter range for us. Jared and I were talking about before the show, uh, Jared (laughs) Cook against Mark Andrews. I'm playing Jared Cook over Mark Andrews. We'll get to Andrews' issues with the Ravens game lower, but what you like about Jared Cook was his involvement, his target share in week one, and all of the good things that you just said about the Chargers offense in general. Yeah, I guess I'm a little lower on Cook than you, but you know, he's, he's a top 10 a top ten tight end for me this week. Um, I don't even know his DFS price, but I'm assuming he's probably cheaper than he should be, so he's going to be a good DFS play. Um, yeah, Cook was fourth in expected fantasy points among tight ends. Um, and now he gets the a Cowboys defense that, you know, Rob Gronkowski just ripped for 90 yards and, and two touchdowns. So definitely a good spot for Cook. I agree. I like everything on the Chargers side except for Larry Larry Roundtree stealing yeah. snaps from yeah. Justin Jackson in week one. The Are we Dallas any Austin uh, Eckler targets this week? <laughs> I mean, we've, we've got to. Wasn't this the issue last season? Didn't we not get any Austin Eckler targets in week one and then they came back? Uh, yeah, I think you might. You're right. He didn't get many in week one because it was Tyrod. Yeah. I mean, I. I He's, he, you know, he's going to be plenty involved in the passing game. He might not be as involved as we thought he was going to be. Just again, if you know, Mike Williams is going to play that big of a role and, and Jared Cook's going to do it. Like, like, it might be four or five targets per game for Eckler versus, you know, six, seven, eight, we were possibly expecting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not worried about anything there. This, this time last year, we were like, Oh, I wonder if Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly are going to be splitting the backfield. And then Joshua Kelly quickly went into witness protection. So Austin Eckler is going to need a string of worrisome games before I'm going to start worrying about him. Agreed. On the Dallas side, I mean, I'm still playing everybody. And yes, that does include Zeke Elliott. I mean, week one obviously went worse than any of us could have guessed. Even those of us who said, watch out, this is the toughest run defense in the league. And it's probably going to be a bad game for Zeke Elliott. 
it was bad. And you can choose to worry that Dallas didn't try to get him more yardage in that game, but why would they try to get him more yardage against Vita Bea when they have CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup for a little while and they can do what they were doing passing the ball? It makes total sense for them to limit Zeke Elliott's exposure in that game and throw the ball instead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a great game plan from Dallas. Perfect. Um, and Zeke's usage was awesome. He played 84% of the snaps. He ran her out on 72% of the pass plays. He had 11 of the 14 running back carries. That's 79%. Um, I mean, he only had two targets, which you could say is concerning. But again, if he's running that many pass routes, you know, 72% is a great number. Um, he should see more targets. So the usage is awesome. He just, he looked a step slow to me. Um, and PFF agreed. PFF had him dead last in rushing grades among 49 running backs that had five plus carries in week one. PFF didn't have him with a single missed tackle forced on his, you know, what was it? 12 or 13 touches. I'm not like a film expert, so I'm not going to weigh that too heavily. And like, if he's getting that usage in this offense, I think he's going to be fine. But um, I don't know. I, I, I just think he, I, to me, he's not prime Zeke anymore. Yeah, he's not prime Zeke. And my answer to that is I don't care. I mean, he's he's getting the usage. He's playing in an offense that's going to be one of the best for the year. I don't I don't care how good he is at this point because he as long as he's getting the ball, he's going to yeah. score points. I, the only concern is like, when does that mean Tony Pollard starts taking more work? That's, that's, Maybe next my, year. that's my only concern. Maybe next year, yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Anything else from Dallas before we move on? No, uh, Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz are in like a tight end committee. So unfortunately you can't really trust either, even though the passing volumes here, oh, we should mention Michael Gallup is out for like a month and Cedric Wilson is the wide receiver three there now. So, you know, he's, he's in like the KJ Osborne. I, I, I like him a bit better than KJ Osborne just because the offense, but kind of, mm -hmm. you know, similar types. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree with both of those comments. Now onto the Sunday night game, Kansas city at Baltimore chiefs by four for this one over under a 55 and a half beyond the obvious chiefs. Uh, I think week one quietly went well for McCole Hardman. Three targets only and a poor PFF grade, which makes it look like a bad game for him. But he ranked second among Chiefs wideouts and routes. Demarcus Robinson was close behind him in that category and graded even worse than Hardman did. Byron Pringle way behind in that category, just like we saw in preseason and also graded worse. So grading poorly is not going to hurt McCole Hardman in this case. Uh, I think combine those factors with that injury-battered Baltimore cornerback room that we talked about with the Raiders game last week. And Hardman has some sneaky upside this week. He, he does. He, he has upside every week if he's going to get that usage as far as, you know, snaps and routes. I just I, – I don't think he's good. Like, I, I think it's like Henry Ruggs. Like, he's going to be on the field, but you can be on the field, and if you're not good, like, you're, you're not going to get targets. And, and it's tough playing with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, obviously. Like, you know, that's, that's Mahomes' first and second read every play. Hardman's going to have some big games. I think he's going to have just as many duds. So like, you know, in, in season long lineup setting leagues, it's, it's kind of tough to know what to do with them. Yeah. I mean, it's not somebody that you need to get into lineups, but if you're looking way down the list for some upside, I think you can do worse than, than Hardman in a flex spot for this one, especially because there's a chance that um, they don't try to run the ball as much against this Baltimore defense that, you know, shapes up that way, as we said um, with the Raiders talk earlier, speaking of running the yeah. ball, by the way, not a great opener for Clyde Edwards E. Lair. I mean, I, I like to think that the touch volume will improve for him going forward when they're not chasing the whole game like they were against the Browns. And I mean, the 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 Chiefs are never chasing the entire yeah. game like they were in week one. So maybe that was just a fluky outcome for that reason. Edwards Lair is like in the same boat as Hardman, not to the same extent, but like I, I just I don't think he's like anything special. 
Again, he's, I don't know. I, he was a, he was a bad first round pick. I'll say that. Um, now he, he's going to be fine because he's the clear lead back on Kansas city. Like you said, the usage was there, you know, 14 of the 15 running back carries um, three targets that that should come up a bit. But again, like Mahomes is clearly looking for Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey on every play. So I don't think you're going to get huge passing game volume out of CEH. I, 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 I downgrade him to like an RB two at this point. Like, and he has RB one upset every week because of the offense, but RB two for me for CEH. Yeah. I mean, it's an offense that doesn't need to give him more work than they want to. They can just lean on the passing game all the time if they feel like it. Yep. On the Baltimore side, the offense did not look particularly good against the Raiders in week one, ranked 23rd in football outsiders DVOA. I would say encouraging work for Sammy Watkins and Marquise Brown, especially in terms of target share, but tougher matchups for them against the, against the Chiefs this week. They're both outside our top 36 in the PPR rankings. Uh, that said, I would probably play each of those guys ahead of Michael Hardman. Sammy Watkins is going to do the thing again where he you know, has a big week one and then just disappears because that's what he's done the past few years now. But yeah, I mean, he Sammy Watkins led the Ravens wide receivers and pass routes. He led the entire team with the eight targets, a 27% target share. So, um, and there, there really should be elevated passing volume from Baltimore in this game. If they're, you know, playing catch up with the chiefs. So um, I like Brown ahead of Hardman for sure. Do we, do we have Hardman ahead of Brown? We'll have to change that if Not we do. Sure. Uh, and then, yeah, Watkins and Hardman are, you know, a toss up for me. Yeah. I would say Watkins and Hardman are, are like a personal choice. Um, you know, decision. I, the thing I like is I think Watkins is a better bet for targets than Hardman is, is, but obviously either one could pop for a touchdown and make that one, make the decision for it. Yep. The guy that we disagreed on, as I mentioned, is Mark Andrews. And I, we know that he always has the kind of game in him that he had against Vegas in week one, which was a bad one, five targets. I think he caught three for 20 yards. He's also been bad the past two times against Kansas city faced them each of the past two years. Uh, last year it was three catches for 22 yards on eight targets year before it was three catches for 15 yards on seven targets. So I think for me, when you combine those two games with a rough week one for him, uh, a disappointing week one, let's say overall for the Baltimore mm -hmm. offense, He's still in tight end one territory, but I'm playing, I think the two guys that it, that you have a chance of also having on your roster that I would play ahead of Mark Andrews are Tyler Higby and Jared Cook for the reasons that we already mentioned from both yeah. of those guys. Yeah, Higby, I have no issue with. Like, I might lean Andrews, but I, I think they're very close. Because um, again, Higby got the usage he did, which you know, was, was right up there with Andrews. But the thing to like about Andrews, he ran a pass around 95% of the pass plays in week one where, you know, that, that's sometimes been the concern with him is, you know, they'll mix in Nick Boyle or, you know, wh whoever else. Um, and Andrews will only be at like 60% of their outs or something. So that, that was good to see. Um, and then even the matchup, like there's nothing about the actual matchup that worries me. Like they, yeah, they've shut him down twice. Maybe, maybe they make Andrews a focal point, which they probably should. Um, but I mean, I, I think he's plenty capable of having a nice game. So it's just, it's, it's like a case of like, I, you know, I took this guy, as tight end five or tight end six. Like I'm, I'm going to stick with them this early in the season and not overreact to what we saw in week one. It uh, probably helps that I wasn't taking Mark Andrews. So yeah, I don't start go. out with a soft spot for him, but yeah. I'm going to go ahead and react to what we saw from the chargers and that matchup at the Cowboys and take a shot on Jared cook, especially because I think that's a game that we want to get into last point on the Ravens is Tyson Williams looked okay early in that game against the Raiders, but then he wound up with just nine carries versus 10 for Latavius Murray. So, I mean, ultimately I don't think we're playing either of those guys. So, yeah. So 
it was um, seven carries for Tyson to three for Latavius in the first half of that game. And then Latavius outcarried Tyson seven to two in the second half. And I know Tyson Williams, I think he, he blew a blitz pickup. He had the you know fumble on the exchange with Lamar Jackson. So I, I think that combination sort of, you know, Baltimore kind of didn't want to trust him much in the second half. Hopefully they get it ironed out because like, Williams looks good. Like that touchdown run was impressive. Like, you know, the burst and Latavius Murray did not look good to me. Like I, I think Latavius Murray is just about washed. Um, Baltimore promoted Devonte Freeman to the active roster over Le'Veon Bell. It looks like. Um, so it's going to be Williams, Murray and Freeman in the backfield this week. I, I, I still think Tyson is the best fantasy bat. And I think he's an RB three option. Um, but there's definitely some risk involved just because we don't know exactly how the, the work's going to be split. Yeah, I can't even name the specific players that I would be weighing him against. But if that's what your decision already in week two, you're in rough shape at running back. I think the fact that the Ravens believe adding Devontae Freeman helps their backfield is the clearest sign that their backfield stinks right now. Yeah, again, I thought I thought Tyson looked good, but they, they might just not trust him. I mean, even his touchdown run, he basically got through the line and then he had to beat one guy to the end zone. So I don't know, it was yeah. it was fine. I, I, I thought he beat some, you know, beat some angles with, with the speed, but yeah, we'll see. Certainly need more than speed, which is what uh, the Ravens seem to say about his play on Monday night. So we'll see where that goes. I agree that he's the first Ravens running back in, but not anybody I'm reaching for this week. Final game that I am reaching for Detroit at green Bay on Monday night, the Packers by 11 in this one and over under 48 and a half. So, you know, that Vegas is not expecting a lot of points from the lions in this game. Let's start by giving Jared Goff a little credit. He finished ninth among fantasy quarterbacks in week one, 338 passing yards, three touchdowns, did attempt 57 passes. So it was like a classic Rams game where he was like, not that good, but he just kept throwing the ball. <laughs> 31 of those pass attempts went to TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, and Jamal Williams. And that, not coincidentally, is the entire list of Lions that I'm considering for fantasy use this week. Yeah, I mean, credit Goff and credit the Lions for you know, knowing – who their best players are like this offense should revolve around Hawkinson and the running back. So I um, mean, again, ha- ha- Hawkinson to me, like he, I'd rather have Hawkinson than, than George Kittle the rest of the way. Um, you know, so he he's Hawkinson is my tight end three weekly starter, obviously um, Deandre Swift and Jamal Williams, you know, Swift, Swift's a weekly starter at this point. You know, he, the, the production between those guys was similar between Swift and Williams, but you know, Swift basically doubled Williams up in snaps Swift basically doubled Williams up in pass routes. Um, so, you know, Swift's the guy there. Um, Williams had the big game. Yeah, we, we mentioned him before. It's like a sell candidate. You, you can mm-hmm. try to sell him if someone th- thinks he's like a top 20 back the rest of the way. I do still think he's going to be like an RB3 in PPR, though, again, just because he's he's the third option in this offense, even if he's the second running back. You know, it's, it's Swift, Hawkinson, and then Williams as the top three options in the offense. Yeah, I, I I think that I don't think Williams is like a, an aggressive sell right now. I think that if somebody comes to you trying to get Williams for a running back that has RB1 upside, I would go ahead and sell him. But otherwise, I'm happy to hold him and use him because I think I think throughout the year, obviously, we're not going to see quite this volume of targets for these guys every game, mm-hmm. but they're kind of going to be the focal point of this offense because there's not a whole lot else going for it. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of games where the Lions are playing from behind like they were in week one and there's going to be a lot of garbage time for the lions, like, which you don't want to count on, but like you kind of can, because it's going to happen a lot for Detroit. Williams is a fringe RB two for me this week. Among guys ahead of him in our rankings right now, I would play Jamal Williams over Mike Davis. I'm, I'm trying to figure out 
who I should start in the, the main event. I need two out of Saquon, Jamal Williams, and Leonard Fournette. Oof. <laughs> I know. Jamal Williams is the easiest starter among those three for me. I think so, yeah. I was all, I was I was ready to go Williams and Fournette before the Ronald Jones starting news. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that might push me toward Barkley because I would be madder if I lost because I yeah. didn't play Barkley than if I didn't play Fournette. But I can understand the the difficulty. Yep. Back to the Packers side in this game. I'm going back to the usual guys, even though they did nothing in week one. And I, that that had to be the most shocking performance of week one was the Packers just going completely belly up against the Saints and not even a home Saints game, but like an on the road home Saints game. So thank goodness for us and them that they get a Detroit matchup in week two. Uh, we can go back to using Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones. Beyond that, I think uh, Robert Tunyon, you know, in play at his usual yeah. level. Beyond that, the, the guy I'm looking at is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who quietly led the Packers with eight targets last week. And he spent 53.6% of his pass snaps in the slot, which is a higher rate than any game last season where he finished the year at about 33% slot rate. All right, Sammy, I was kind of surprised it was um, Alan Lazard as the third receiver for the Packers. I kind of thought it'd be Randall Cobb, you know, Aaron Rodgers' boy. I thought it'd be him in the slot with Adams and MBS on the outside, but you know, they're gonna, they're evidently going to use Lazard on the outside, MBS in the slot. MBS was also fourth among all wide receivers in air yards in week one, so um, I'm, I'm still optimistic. Um, probably not a guy you need to start at this point, but I mean, the, the matchup's right again, so um, MBS would not be the worst wide receiver flyer for week two. I would play MVS over Nicole Hardman this week. I'm in, baby. Let's do it. All right. That's going to do it for this week two preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full week two rankings to help you finalize those lineup decisions. Check the My Teams page for custom lineup recommendations, plus the Who Should I Start tool, Free Agent Finder, the Trade Partner Navigator, Lots more to help you with all your lineup decisions this week. And speaking of winning lineups, we're going to be back here tomorrow night for our pair of DFS shows with our new buddy, Mitch Carl. So be sure to check those out. You can also find us anytime in the free DraftSharks Discord. You can find the link to join that in the description for this podcast, wherever you're consuming it. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 